You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Hello and welcome to episode number 53 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me as always in the kitchen studio is Matt Smith. Hello. And how is Matt He's on this fine morning? very good, thank you. How about yourself? What do you mean fine morning? It's lovely. <laughs> it's not lovely at right, all. It's overcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have you got a lesson today? No, I haven't. No. no uh, That's good, why good, I'm upset. Good, yeah, absolutely. Good choice. Yeah. It is, it's, I think it's safe to say here in humble East Anglia, it is not a great day. No, it's a, it's a bit, <laughs> bit dreary. Uh, uh, rather, rather like the uh, the eclipse. Eclipse. Yeah. I was just about to say that actually, yeah. Uh, as uh, the eclipse from yesterday. It's, uh, you ought to put your picture. You ought to put your picture on the on the Facebook thing because that was that was so Did funny. You like that? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't like it. And I, and I took that photo at the exact right time. Did you? Yeah, and that yeah, was what yeah, it I was saw. nothing short of a stunning photograph. It was a stunning yeah. photograph. I got yeah. so many good yeah. comments for that photo. It was very cloudy. Yes, Pip, Pip also um, also set up a picture of, yeah, yeah. On, commented on that, which yeah. is quite good. Yeah, um, oh. but no, hello and welcome then Indeed. to episode fifty three. Yes, we had a uh, minor uh, sort of um, uh, technical minor. It's all right for you. You weren't the one mending it. it we, had a, we had a little issue last we had a week. Catastrophic which, um, failure, I think, is the best way to describe it, which prevented us from from uh, getting out of show. Indeed. So we do apologise. Humble apologies. Yes, yes, we do apologise. But we have got loads of news this week. Indeed, uh, including also a segment from. Pip has sent us uh, a good uh, segment in this week yes. as well. Yeah. And we've got that. And uh, yeah, we've got loads of news to get through and stuff. Indeed. And uh, had a busy week, Matt? Yeah. Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I've been quite quiet, actually. Yeah, mm. been, been, been in the yard. It's been given me an opportunity to sort of, you know, make the coach a little bit more pleasant than it has been blessed. Because Although I've been to Dunwich, I don't know how many times, and that's never a pleasant experience. Well, it's near the coast, isn't well, it? Well, no, no, it's fine. It's just that they're all covered in sand and oh. stuff, and it gets everywhere. Everywhere. I didn't even go on the beach, and I ended up covered in sand. I don't know how that works. Oh. <laughs> any uh, any activity from the uh, local airfield? Uh, yeah, well, yes, yes, daily almost. Uh, apart from um, apart from uh, um, uh, Eclipse Day, I think that's because yeah. it was <laughs> dreary. But lots of activity in the afternoon, of course, because ironically, it was a glorious afternoon. It was, yeah. yeah. The weather really did yeah. get out yesterday afternoon. Yes, I should just say, obviously, it is uh, it is the twenty first Saturday, the twenty first. It is. Uh, of March, it's uh, nine forty-six. That's what time we started recording in morning, today. In yes. the morning, yes, in the morning a.m. So, uh, yesterday obviously was Friday, which was Eclipse, eclipse Day. day. Mm. Indeed. So we hope you all enjoyed your uh, yes. eclipse wherever you were in the world. Because I'm sure uh, most yeah. of you because uh, Asia sort of area, it was actually a total eclipse. Wasn't yeah. It? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. like basically dark. Yeah, yeah. It, there was one. There was one on the news, and it showed it. It, it went totally, totally yeah. dark. Yeah. I mean, it was dark enough here for the lights at work to come on. Yes. So, yeah. so yeah. I mean, it did. It did really sort of at the nine thirty-ish peak. It was uh, very dreary. It looked like it was going to snow. Actually, that's that's what it looked like. Yes. I don't know when the next. There was another eclipse. I think isn't it? In well, there's 20, one in twenty twenty something, 20, isn't it? it? And yeah. then then the next major one, we probably won't be here. For. No. 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 <laughs> twenty ninety something or other. It's uh, you know. Gonna, at this rate, I'm going to be lucky to make it to the. 2026 one so it's just <laughs> don't say that god <laughs> blimey um, am i gonna do this on my own yeah uh so yeah we've got loads of news indeed yeah, we, uh, better, we better get cracking yes I we think. better get yeah. cracking so we're going to give you our usual rundown of the news from around the world and the uk uh so if you're ready matt let's do this let's do it <laughs> So 
So kicking off this week, uh, then on the Mail Online site, and this one is regarding Virgin Atlantic and their new 787-9 aircraft, the Boeing Dreamliner. And uh, they've uh, released a video uh, on the Mail Online site showing a time-lapse video of, uh, of their new 787-9 being created from start to finish. Mm. Uh, it's a three-minute video, and it shows the plane's production uh, from scratch. and uh, shows everything from it being built to it being sprayed and rolled out of the hangar. And it took nine days to paint the huge aircraft, um, the first of its kind in Europe. That's a Dash 9. So uh, creating an aircraft is by no means a small feat, and the Virgin team captured the process in an impressive three-minute video. Described as an evolution in air travel, the Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner was created <laughs> as a celebration of the 30th anniversary of the first ever Virgin Atlantic flight in 1984. The aircraft uh, has been named Birthday Girl and is shown being constructed from the building of its shell to having the seats installed and paint applied. And the video also shows a vast team needed to create the pl uh, plane of this size. Uh, the Boeing 787-9, which is the uh, first of its kind in Europe, also has the biggest windows of any commercial aircraft. Uh, Wi-Fi is available throughout all journeys, so flyers can remain connected on their onboard travels. And uh, these have also been installed with electronic lighting, which can be controlled easily by the touch of a dimmer switch. Mm. In total, the aircraft has 31 upper-class uh, seats, 35 premium economy, and 198 economy seats. Friendlier to the environment, the plane is 21% more fuel-efficient uh, compared to similar-sized aircrafts and produces less carbon dioxide emissions. The uh, time-lapse video shows the fascinating process involved with creating the finishing look of an aircraft. Now, Matt, you've but we had a look at this, didn't we, before we, did. we started yeah. this video. And uh, that's really cool, the, it, the whole process. It's stuff. great to... Uh, I mean, it's a rare thing, isn't it? So to actually see the plane being put together from start mm. to finish. I mean, it's really, it really is fascinating. It's um, Make sure you put it up on the Facebook page. Cause yeah, it's, we'll put uh, a link to it on yeah, Facebook. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. it's a, for all plane fans, it's a, it's a must-watch. It, it, it just sort of, it looks weird seeing it with no seats in it, obviously, before <laughs> they start putting it in and, and sort of putting all the lockers and things in I mean, it, re it really is brilliant. It's three minutes... Uh, you will thoroughly enjoy if you're if you're into your aviation. Definitely, it's yeah. uh, fascinating. It's just amazing to see all those parts come together because mm, yeah. they're all sort of built off site. A lot yeah. of the parts are built off site, and, and then they, they, all, they all come together, reassemble in the factory. And, yeah. yeah, and it's just it's just amazing to see. Yeah. And plus, seeing that that amazing Virgin Red uh, yeah. livery they have, it's it's, 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 really it's almost a sort of maroon red, isn't it? It's quite a quite a rich red color. I, I, I like red anyway. That's my favorite. It's just one of anger. It's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about my sad life. Uh, the next story. Uh, ah, thank you, Carl. Oh, I've left oh, you a Ryanair story. That's good news, my favorite. This is on the BBC's website, bbc.co.uk, and the headline is Ryanair abandons plans to operate transatlantic flights. Budget airline Ryanair has abandoned plans to operate transatlantic flights just days after it said uh, its board had approved the measure. In a statement, Ryanair said it had not considered or approved any transatlantic project and does not intend to do so. On Monday, Ryanair said that its board approved a plan to operate budget flights to the US uh, within five years. Ryanair first added the plans... Uh, or first aired the plan, sorry, in 2008. Earlier in the week, a spokesperson told the BBC long-haul flights were dependent on attaining viable long-haul aircraft 
and we estimate that's four to five years away. It said it would like to offer low-cost flights between 12, uh, between 12 to 14 European cities and at the same number of US cities. Currently, the transatlantic route is dominated by long-haul established airlines, with British Airways and American Airlines the main players. Um, Oslo-based low-cost airline Norwegian Air Shuttle began a service to the US in 2013, but recently blamed the costs of its expansion, uh, including disputes with US regulators for its first loss in over eight years years now this is a very confusing story because i think it was literally just a couple of days previously mm. and it actually it's, made yeah. local or made national news hadn't it where where they were planning to offer um you know uh, long-haul flights to the states for just over well, i think it was, it was 10 euros or something like that it was it was a sort of a, a crazy number so it's actually quite sad actually i was because uh, oh, i mean I, I i mock ryanair all the time don't yes, i you but do. um it's uh, so do you. Don't give me that. Well, no, <laughs> we we both use them as much as each we do. Other. Absolutely, it's... and and if I I really 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 want to go to the states, um, but I just can't see how uh, how I could do it using normal methods. So it's uh, it's a bit of a shame, really. But then hopefully maybe in sort of four or five years time they'll uh, they'll uh, they'll it will be it will be it will be so strange to see anything other than the seven three seven eight hundred yeah. with the Ryanair logo on. <laughs> On the yeah. side, you know, yeah. I it would be interesting to see a. I know this would never happen, but yeah. it'd be interesting to see an Airbus A380 with the Ryanair. Um, <laughs> can you imagine it? it might the, you never <laughs> know? They are, I mean, they're doing well. Aren't I they? have to say that I, I, I was thinking about this last night when I read this story, and yeah. I think if I think if my Glow Leary does decide to do this, yeah. and they do do it, I I really do believe that they'll go for a Boeing product, whether you, it be you, the triple seven. Uh, the triple seven or the Dreamliner oh, over think, an Airbus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think he'll stick with Boeing because he'll because he's brought all these aircraft with Boeing. Yeah. You know, he's got this huge order that he's placed with them yeah. with for aircraft that yeah. are coming online now. And I just think that you know he'll strike some deal with yeah. Boeing. Well, presumably his, his credit is good with them. I'm he quite sure. Must have good credit. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so he could probably manage his own if necessary. Yes, yes. So then we've got uh, our next story to coming up then uh, regarding EasyJet. Yes. But, uh, yep. this is, before uh, that, we've, we've, oh. we've, we've, we've had a, an intrusion. An intrusion? On, uh, yeah, on the show that, from, from miles away. Oh, we need to do something about your firewall security, I think. Yeah, firewall it, definitely yeah. needs sorting out with this yeah. laptop. We've, yeah, we've, absolutely. Is this, is, it's, You've been infiltrated. Things happening. We've been yes. infiltrated and on what the show. I don't know. Before, before everyone panics. Before everyone panics. <laughs> um, um, hello? G'day. Oh, hey. Did you just hear a good day there? Yeah, I, no, I just heard you. a good day there. Yeah. So we'd like <laughs> Truth, to. Truth, mate. Hey. <laughs> yes. So barbecue we... weather, is it, by any chance? <laughs> oh, not quite, not quite. We're no. coming just at the end of summer and uh, getting into, uh, yeah, that bit that comes next, the old autumn, which is great for flying hot air balloons, but uh, and not so bad for barbecues in the afternoon, but uh -huh. kind of chilly at night and in the morning. Do you know what? I recognise that voice. Do you? Yeah. Yes. So do I. Welcome on to the show from the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast, Graham McCarran. Hey. Hey, guys. Morning. Yes. Uh, morning. <laughs> we need a posse. We need a, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, you just need a bit of fire. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. How did he get around the? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. He saw these people from down. You know, it's, 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 I could say we're talking about cricket next, and I, I should just be very no, upset. Blind, no. Yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> I just figured out Carlos's um, security code. It was pale ale. It was yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Ah, touche. Yes. <laughs> Watching the Facebook Dang. feeds from last night. Yeah, indeed, yes. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So, what's the, so obviously it's um I've just realized my t-shirt's inside Your out. Your t-shirt's inside <laughs> out. 
can't believe you've left Tom. Sorry, sorry. We'll post some pictures of uh, no, we Matt wearing no, his t-shirt. No, we really won't. <laughs> Don't anyway. worry. We're, we're upside down down here, so it's okay. It looks normal. Excellent. Thank you very much. So, You're welcome great. onto the show, Grant. Thanks Hello, for Grant. joining us. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah. Like the like the advert says, we sneak on to lots of other shows, just Absolutely. like this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah fantastic. <laughs> and you are more than welcome. I can assure you of that. It's uh, so. What, what was the weather like today? It was quite lovely, actually. Yeah. It got ra- uh, rather warm. Yes. Uh, I can find out that information for you about just how warm it was. <laughs> I was yeah, actually had on. the air conditioning on. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Sorry, trying yeah. not to rub it in, but yeah. yeah. Uh, the, think, the, the problem think, with yeah. here is we have to have the heating on even in summer. That's half the trouble. Oh, with. oh uh, fr- I, I have been in the UK. Uh, uh, admittedly, it was during February, but um, not friends were telling me that summer was great. Uh, you know, the rain was lovely and warm. Yes, yes, it um, was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got up to a whole. Oh, actually, we got up to twenty-two degrees. I think that's wrong because it felt 22. a lot warmer in the car with the really? sun coming in. Yeah. Twenty-two. We dream of those kind of numbers, don't we? I think we managed five yesterday, didn't we? Did we? As yeah. much as Woo. that. That is a mm. shock. Yes. Absolutely oh. right. Ow. Okay. Well, what, if if you're able to stick around, then uh, Grant, we'll we'll crack on with with the, uh, with the, news. the news and yeah. um, and uh, we'll speak <laughs> to you in, in in a couple of minutes. So brace yourself. But, but hey. chip in. But chip do in. Feel, feel free to yes, chip in. We, we shall leave you live, yeah. as it were. Is this, is it me? Okay. It, is it me? No, it's me. Oh, it's oh, it's you. No, it's not. It's you, isn't it? I did the wrong thing. Okay. I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused. I know it's being infiltrated. It's ruined a scum. Right. Okay. Travel weekly then. Sorry. The next. Next show, uh, next show, next story, Travel Weekly. Mm-hmm. And this one is about EasyJet. And they're adding fast track security to their business fare tariff. Uh, frequent travelers using EasyJet are being given access to fast track security clearance at 34 airports across Europe. Further airports are to be added as the carrier bids to attract more business travelers. EasyJet Plus annual cardholders who pay an annual fee of £170 will be able to use fast-track security at Aberdeen, Athens, Basel, Belfast, Brussels, Budapest, Calgary, Cologne, Dusseldorf, blimey, there's some places here, Edinburgh, Faro, <laughs> Geneva, Glasgow, Hamburg, Lisbon, Liverpool, Gatwick, Southend, Stansted, Lyon, Madeira. Do you know what? There's a lot here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Several <laughs> locations. Several locations. Yeah. <laughs> These passengers uh, will also have the option to take on board a second small underseat bag, such as a handbag or laptop bag, in addition to cabin bag as well, up to a maximum size of 56 by 45 by 25 centimetres. Annual membership already provides allocated seating, including extra legroom and upfront seats, a dedicated bag drop desk and speedy boarding. The airline's commercial director, Peter Duffy, said, we know all passengers, and particularly those travelling on business, want frequent, punctual and convenient flights to leading airports. We want to provide services that most of our frequent travellers value and which we can deliver whilst retaining our simple and efficient operations. Uh, This is something... With uh, Ryanair, we were talking about before on previous yeah. show because Ryanair do allow you now to take on a mm. second piece of handbag. To be fair to EasyJet, they've been doing it a lot longer. Mm. Yeah, they, they, they've <laughs> been doing the extra the extra bag for quite a long time. Actually, I think it's Ryanair's big copy in EasyJet on this occasion. Do you think so? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Your, your, your views, Grant. I take it you've never you've never uh, enjoyed the um, luxury of Ryanair or EasyJet yourself. I can't say I've had that wonderful option, oh. but I have flown uh, Jetstar and Tiger. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so, are, 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 are they your uh, your equivalents, um, sort of like budget carriers, as we call them over here? 
Yeah, well, I mean, Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, uh, he's you know born and raised in Dublin mm. and uh, used to work with Aer Lingus and everything. I think he's oh, doing well. a pretty good job of turning Jetstar into the Ryanair of Down Under. But, um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I just think... I think it's quite interesting that they've, um, you know, they're they're allowing you to bring a second bag, and mm. I like the fact that they said, you know, handbag or laptop bag, because my laptop bag's a crumpler bag, and it's pretty damn big. Yeah, um, I see. <laughs> Cram as much it's, stuff in as possible. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's pretty huge. I mean, I guess I guess for Ryanair, it's, yes, your second bag can be the size of a minty packet. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah more. Or less. <laughs> yeah. It, it can't weigh no more than yeah, they're they're yeah. a lot of ten kilos. Otherwise, that's yeah. it. Yeah, point one over. <laughs> end of end of story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly. In our case, I mean, I can't remember the last. Well, even when when me and my mum go away, we make a point of actually uh, packing in hand, you know, hand luggage only. I can't remember the last time we put a bag in the hole. Really? Yeah. Mm. I think we ever pack me and the wife. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Right. Okay. On to the next story. Next then. Story. Yeah. Uh, this is on the Business Traveller website, and the headline is Virgin to fly B seven eight seven nine to Hong Kong. Virgin Atlantic will roster a B seven eight seven nine onto its daily London Heathrow to Hong Kong service in July. The British carrier will replace the A three forty six hundred that currently flies the route with the Dreamliner. From the fifth of July, the Boeing aircraft will operate services VS two zero six slash two zero six. These flight codes are identical to and replace the VS200-201, reports airlineroute.net. Outbound service VS206 will depart London Heathrow at 22.30 and arrive in Hong Kong around about 5.30, this is in the evening, uh, the next day. Um, while service, uh, while the return service V207 will take off from Hong Kong uh, just before midnight and land in London uh, around about 5.25 the next day. Last week it emerged that Virgin had postponed introducing a daily 787-9 service to Los Angeles by a week. The airline said it plans to roll out the aircraft on several more routes this year, including London Heathrow to Delhi, Shanghai and Johannesburg. So I have, we, we make, have you seen have you seen a seven eight seven yet for for real? I've seen one uh, parked at the stand at uh, Heathrow, right? But I haven't actually sort of been on. Yeah, have you been on the Dreamliner yet, Grant? Uh, I was uh, privileged enough to go on ZA 003, I think it was. Right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. That was it. Came and visited uh, Australia as part of a route proving exercise, oh, cool. and uh, it was static. I didn't get to fly on it, mm. and. Uh, yeah, Steve, my co-host, and I, and a couple of the other crew members from PCDU, we were we were there shooting video, shooting uh, um, stills, and uh, really quite a, actually enjoying it, yeah. uh, mostly for the tech and everything. Mm. I must admit, the seven eight seven nine, I think that's the Dreamliner that Boeing always wanted to make. Right. Um, they they learned a lot of lessons with the Dash Eight. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, they're, cause yeah, I mean, they look—they they look certainly in the photos. They look like a, a massive Stunning. plane, yeah. mm. massive, massive. Well, plane. they're about the size of a seven six seven upwards right. towards yeah. the triple seven. Yeah. Uh, when you get to the the dash one thousand, that's around the triple seven. So, I mean, anything looks big. I mean, even a seven three seven looks kind of big when you're standing on the tarmac <laughs> next to it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it is quite a large aircraft. Mm. Uh, that Boeing sell the Dash 8 as like a 220, 240 person. Um, Norwegian put about 290 in it. Mm. Jetstar in Australia put about 330 in it. Uh, so it's often referred to as the plastic sardine. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did, you did cruise. You, you talked about that in, in uh, one of your previous shows, mm. didn't you, Grant, about uh, the fact yeah. that they do cram mm. the people in Just a little. Just a little. Mm. I know. But, uh, 
you kind of you kind of think that if you, if they're going to make a bigger aircraft, that you'd give the passenger more room yeah. to make the passenger more happy. Well, it's, it's the cost, point. though, isn't it? It's, mm. you've, you've, at, the end, the, at the end of the day, the routes have got to make money, haven't they? Mm. Well, that's it. Somebody eventually goes, hey, you know how we're traveling 280 on here? Mm. You know, if we could put another couple of rows in, we'd get <laughs> yeah. an extra 40 people. And yeah. We could actually start really getting some money on this yeah. and making a profit, and that's how it works out. Take yeah. some toilets out. Yeah. 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 Toilets yeah. are overrated. Why would you need a toilet on a long-haul flight? I mean, honestly. <gasps> <laughs> I mean, honestly. Yeah. Okay. That's what the bottles are for. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, you yeah. carry on. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> right. So, next story. Yeah. Moving on. It's on the ITCM, the Incentive Traveling Corporate Meeting Site. So, not to do with computers in any no, way. No, not at all. No, IT. Oh. So, Iceland Air, uh, um, one who we, uh, we see fly over here quite mm. a bit, Iceland Air, with their 757s, uh, there to acquire to Boeing 767-300 aircraft to fly to uh, from London Heathrow on the on the route. Um, the board of directors of Iceland Air Group has decided to upgrade the fleet of subsidiary Iceland Air. Uh, and in 2015, Iceland Air will operate 23 Boeing 757-200s uh, that take 183 passengers. Uh, one 757-300 that carries 220 passengers but they've also decided that they will replace uh, or with uh, two of these 757s with Boeing 767-300 aircraft that take 260 passengers. Uh, they're going to be added to the route network as of spring 2016. The new aircraft will be used on the busy London Heathrow Reykjavik service that currently operates twice daily and along with other four UK uh, airports provides the feeder service to Iceland Air's American and Canadian destination. Iceland Air's London Heathrow operations will soon move to the new Terminal 2 on the 25th of March, and the Gatwick Reykjavik service is also due to increase to a daily frequency in 2016. The larger aircraft are more feasible due to high load factors on many routes all year round and limited number of landing slots on certain airports. The increase of the fleet in the last few years has made it more economical to have more than one size of aircraft in its fleet. The Boeing 767 aircraft is similar to the 757s in terms of maintenance and crew training, and the airline has experience in operating that type. Iceland Air's group subsidiary Loft Lidier, Icelandic, has operated the 767 aircraft in leasing projects that have been maintained by Iceland Air. The aircraft has a longer range than the 757, which will create new opportunities for the route network. Mm -hmm. uh, Iceland Air. Yeah. They use quite a few of these. They use a lot of the 757s, the yeah. 300s as well uh, as the 200s. And they've all got those um, blended, lovely blended winglets on that yeah. we see so frequently now, even on the older um, 757s. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, Grant, whether they fit the or whether the 767s they're going to uh, get in the fleet will have these winglets added to them. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's any... I, I might just do a quick Google search to see if there's any 767s with winglets. With winglets I don't know about yeah. the... Uh, the seven fives and oh yep there's the seven six sevens with them i i i stand corrected they do have them wow. so yeah that would be interesting oh well, yeah i mean when you're on a good thing put it on the whole fleet yeah save some money save well, we, some we, we covered a couple of weeks ago with the winglets we, yeah. i was because i'd never really come across them uh, um much before and I, mm. I was genuinely quite surprised at how much of a difference they make to to sort of fuel economy and, and things like that. I've got who was it? Somebody's fitting it to uh, uh, it was Monarch, I think. It, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they were retrofitting. Retro yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I'd seen them on the seven fives, and of course we all see them on the seven threes. Yeah. And Airbus have the the winglet fences, and now the sharklets and all yes. that kind of stuff. And you know, it's uh, I, I didn't realize that I should have realized actually that they'd done them on the seven sixes. Naturally, if you've got them on the seven fives, why not yeah. the seven sixes? Mm. But they they really help if you're doing longer legs. If you're doing lots of short up and down, uh, you know, like short flights they don't really do that much apparently but if you're doing one to two to three to longer flights um in the hours uh they they really do have a payback have you seen the uh the scimitar winglets that uh boeing have fitted on a lot of their uh, 737s grant yeah they're pretty interesting um it's it's getting it's kind of a sharklet with a with a an extra bit sort of below as well isn't it like a like yeah well, like the Airbus has that little short wingtip fence, like That's the original it. A321s. They were just those mm-hmm. those little up and down ones. And then, you know, Boeing bought out with the 737, those beautiful, big, tall uh, yeah. wing bends. And then, then Airbus bought out their sharklets. Yeah. And, and yeah. now Boeing's like, well, hey, Airbus, we're going to take yours and make it better. Here's our big <laughs> one. And let's now join the party. As well. <laughs> yeah. It, it almost starts to look like a Ginsu, you know, mm. like one of those things in the kitchen that ro- spins around <laughs> and down and it's like wow (laughs) well i was just looking up iceland there actually they they were founded in 1937 so they've been about a long time yeah and it's uh, iceland air is the main uh airline of iceland headquartered at some random airport in a in a town i can't pronounce (laughs) uh, in a part of the iceland air group and uh will during the summer of 2015 operate scheduled services to 39 cities in 16 countries on both sides of the atlantic ocean out of its hub at the uh, something or other international airport. Is it, <laughs> the, long name. is it the Keflavik? Oh, Keflavik. 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 There we go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Keflavik International Airport. The geographical position of Iceland allows one-stop transatlantic flights, which are one pillar of the airline's business strategy, along with traffic to and from the country. So, yeah. yeah we sometimes well, say, we see them quite fly over here quite a bit. Um, I, I, I should la- have... Landing in Lowestoft. No, not in yeah, Lowestoft. No, right, no, okay. no. <laughs> they, 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 they tend to fly well over here at right. uh, a good height. But yeah. no. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing avoiding the UK at all costs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing you, you use you uh, use the um, wonderful apps on your phone as as we do over here, Grant, with uh, like uh, oh, flight radar little... and plane finder and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, plane finder is a big one. Yeah. And uh, flight radar tw- radar twenty four. But uh, usually, yeah. Um, yeah, usually the plane um, plane finder is the one I've mostly run with. But it doesn't always work with uh, you know anyone doing a VHF flight. But uh, the biggest stuff, mm. you know what it is and yeah. yeah, we've watched a, watched during the Avalon Air Show when everyone was positioning for it. Watched a couple of corporate jets and a and a um, beautiful new brand new Sikorsky helicopter do the run through um, a bit of a front line, and yeah, it was kind of fun watching that. So excuse, excuse the novice here, a VHF flight. What's what does that mean? Oh, so- uh, sorry, VFR flight. Sorry. VFR, Vis- sorry. visual flight. Sorry, flight. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes, visual flight. Sorry, I said VHF. No, 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 so it's fine. No, so I was just thinking, a different air frequency? What? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, anyway, on to the next story. And uh, this one travel is mole. from the Travel Mall website. And the headline is, Cosmos reveals uh, which airlines will fly its customers this summer. Hmm. Uh, Cosmos Holidays has confirmed the majority of its, uh, of its flying this summer will be on Monarch, despite the latter ditching uh, charters and long-haul operators at the end of the winter season to become a dedicated schedule short-haul leisure airline. Several of Monarch's historic charter routes have been converted to scheduled services which Cosmos will continue to use. However, the tour operator has also taken seats on a number of other airlines, including Norwegian Air, which will be operating its flights from Gatwick to Florida on its Boeing 787 Dreamliner aircraft. 
Cosmos will also use uh, Enterair, which uh, will operate uh, flights from Manchester and Birmingham to Greece, and Small Planet, which will operate specific routes from Gatwick to Greece. Seats on these flights will also be available to buy as flight only through Monarch's seat-only division, Avro. Monarch's tour operating division sales director, Gary Anslow, said... Our summer programme continues to be as extensive as ever, covering all the popular destinations in the eastern and western Mediterranean, as well as Florida and other key long-haul destinations such as Mexico and the Maldives. Our aim in choosing our partners has been to ensure that our customers get the excellent level of service they expect when taking a Cosmos holiday. We are very happy that this will very much be the case. Onslow also said that the majority of Cosmos customers will still fly with Monarch. However, destinations that were previously serviced by Monarch charters will now be with our new partner airlines or on other scheduled airlines. So Monarch is uh, another is a popular airline in the UK. Yeah. Um, but where are Cosmos they based then? Where, where do they fly huge... from mainly? Monarch. Oh, blimey, you've goose-stung me again. Have I? I know. <laughs> Sorry. I, I should know this, really, because I've flown with Monarch a few times now. Yeah. But... Um, but they've got they've got a big engineering base in the UK. Yeah. Monarch, Monarch do um, a lot of uh, engine overhaul and engineering stuff in the UK. Oh, right. So not not just flying flying their own craft, but no, they do they do they do. I think they offered um, sometime this year they offered like an apprenticeship uh, scheme um, with their engineering side of things, cool. which is quite cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they they've got bases all around the UK. Um, I mean, their their head office is in Luton. Funnily right. enough, London Luton Airport is their head office. Really? Um, but they've got a fleet of just over 40 aircraft at the moment, Gosh. Uh, Monarch. Uh, but they've got operating yeah. bases all around the UK. Yeah. Monarch is a very is that, special pilot. Is that an airline you've, Along with uh, special you've heard of, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard of Monarch. Yeah, a lot of people have heard of Monarch, but um, there's a number of us who have heard of it because of a very special pilot, uh, Bruce Dickinson, the uh, Iron Maiden. The Iron Maiden, Maiden yeah. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yes. Because when Iron Maiden were doing one of their world tours, they took a Monarch 757 and painted it up with uh, the, I believe it's the Freddy character from uh, Iron Maiden. Oh, wow. Their uh, sort yeah. of zombie dude. Yeah, if you Google it, you'll see it, Matt. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, they they done the 757. I think it was a 200, wasn't it, Grant? The, um, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, it was. It did the world tour, and uh, Bruce was one of the pilots flying yeah. it. He's and, an actual uh, pilot. He's an actual yeah. Yeah. How does he have time yeah. to do these things? <laughs> Oh, well, they're not always touring. No. <laughs> well, they should be. Uh, <laughs> how dare they have it's, other it's, it's good extracurricular to, activities? Yeah, I know, it's good to diverse. Not only is he a, a megastar, he's also yes. a pilot. Yes, he's good. a megastar pilot. He's a, a bit like Grant, you see. Look, he, right. not only is, is, he, is he a balloon <laughs> pilot, <laughs> he he's a now. <laughs> podcaster and balloon pilot. Well, absolutely, yes. Oh, I have many questions to ask. <laughs> I have many questions to ask later on that, so get your, get your thinking, get cap, your thinking on. cap on. Indeed. Oh. Anyway, on to the next story. Let's keep things yes, moving. Yes, next story. Yeah. Breaking travel news, yes. this one. And Nats reports up, upsurge in UK air traffic. Uh, the air traffic in the UK increased in January and February compared to those months last year. With Nats, the National Air Tran, uh, Traffic Service, uh, the UK's major air traffic management company, handling more than 159,000 flights in each of the first two months of 2015. Nats handled 164,805 flights in January, an increase of 1.6% compared to the same month last year, with 412 minutes of delays attributed to Nats a 65% reduction 
on the 1,190 minutes in January last year. There was a 3.1% increase of traffic last month compared to that in February 2014, as Nats handled 159,439 flights. London City Airport led the growth in traffic for the first two months in 2015, with a 16.4% increase and uh, rise in January and a 24.8% increase in February, which was mainly due to an increase in ski flights uh, to continental Europe and oh, additional skiing. capacity routes oh, oh. Yeah, made to Edinburgh <laughs> and Dublin. Um, yeah, this is this is great. I mean, there are certain types of people that go on holiday skiing. Oh. I call them ski bores, actually, because whenever they go skiing, all they want to do is bore you about skiing. Oh, <laughs> oh. Matt's just so fell asleep. Okay. Yes, on Matterhorn. Yes. Uh, on that note, yeah. So, yeah. but they, um, we, going back to the story. Yeah, oh, right. Um, sorry. Yes. <laughs> this this does prove that um, loads and loads of people still choose to fly everywhere. Well, it's do. great. Yes. I, I, I personally I, I think they it. should choose coach travel, but that's oh. just me. <laughs> yes. Any maybe, co- maybe coach to the airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Combine the two. Good thinking. Yes. Well, you see, he's not just a hat rack, is he? No. <laughs> I have a what, reputation to live down to. Oh, right. Um, yeah, and you're doing that very well. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> do you have you, uh, do you has there been an increase in uh, in Australia as well with uh, with sort of uh, the air traffic and stuff in the last in the last year, Grant? Do you think even though the, uh, even though we're, they're in the midst or coming out of a recession? Well, we're all coming. Well, we're all coming yeah. You, you guys. Um, Australia was a bit late into the recession because we yeah. were carving up big chunks of the country and selling it to people as <laughs> like you know okay. uh, raw produce and so on. Well. Uh, the mine, the mining boom, the minerals boom, all that mm. kind. Of we stuff. all have to have uh, a hobby, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So eventually, that that has come off the boil and yeah. things are dropping down a little. Uh, plus, also some of the airlines put out a bit more capacity, so uh, they've actually shrunk some of the capacity to put their load factors up. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, I think the overall the traffic data is holding reasonably well. Uh, there were some recent articles, and I'm trying madly to remember them. So thank you for putting me on the spot like that. That's awesome. <laughs> he does that, you know. He does that a lot. But listening to your show, we we also we always hear like Qantas have had sort of their their various sort of problems and stuff mm-hmm. over the last year. But uh, I think Qantas and they start are they starting to get back on a on an even keel? I think again, Grant. Mm. Yeah, they've had a they've had a, a well, what, what we can say as an interesting last few years. Uh, they they were always playing things like they, they would actually say, "Oh, things are pretty bad, traffic's bad, you know, this is bad," and then they'd try and come in with better numbers. But then for a little bit, uh, they started saying, "Yeah, things are bad," and then they came in with bad numbers. <laughs> but uh, I think I think they've turned a corner and and things are improving. Mm. Uh, they, they tried to do a lot with Jetstar. Uh, for a while there, uh, look, the scuttlebutt has always been that some of the Jetstar expenses were pushed across to Qantas mainline, uh, especially international. Um, indications are that everyone's now having to make their own money and stand on their own two feet, so to speak, of all the divisions. Mm. And, uh, yeah, Jetstar's, I think, letting go a few of the internationals that it was trying to do. So, yeah, look, it, it's it's an interesting time as ever. Uh, you know, the biggest, best way to make a small fortune is start with a big one in aviation. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that things are, things are bubbling along. Yeah, we we flew back from Dubai uh, last year, Grant. We flew with Emirates, but yep. with they because they co-chair with Qantas, and uh, we flew back from Dubai back to Heathrow with on on a Qantas A three eighty, and um, yep. 
me, me and my wife Gemma were the only two people sitting in the rear section of the A380 in economy. Uh, it was empty, um, and I, I have to, I have to say, it, it, the quality of service it was, it was brilliant. It I was should really, hope so. If there was really only good. two of you well, in the back of the aircraft, <laughs> not just because of that reason. I but mean, it's great you can have a toilet each. I know the, the cabin crew though were really, really good, really attentive though yeah. for the whole yeah. flight. Yeah, but, I bet they had know, nothing else to do, much. Carl. That's why. <laughs> There's, well, there's some absolutely lovely people working in Qantas. Yeah, um, yeah. I know a number of Qantas tech and, and cabin crew. Same with Virgin. Some really, really wonderful people uh, working in there, and they really go the hard yards to try and make things right. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, the the feeling in Qantas that I've heard from some is that it's it's getting better. Uh, the feeling in from some in Virgin is that, eh, well, you know, we're starting to become a bit like Qantas, but they're working on keeping that ha- from happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, it's uh, yeah. If you if you fly in Qantas, you're going to get a pretty good pretty good experience. I, I love the you know. snack bar at the, at the rear of the um, where the stairs go up at the rear of the A380. Uh, Grant, you've got uh, the like, little snack section, and um, I did visit that <laughs> quite frequently quite on the flight home <laughs> with yeah. the little cookies. I had these little cookies, and he's been on a diet ever since. I know. Yeah. Since, blimey, yeah. I ate far um, too many cookies on that flight, Grant. That, that's impossible. You cannot eat too many cookies. How dare you? <laughs> well, my, uh, my my co-host Steve uh, recently went to the US and back on Qantas, and uh, he he said that the service was great and the uh, aircraft was fantastic. They went over on an A380, and uh, yeah, he didn't mention the cookie bar. I may have to talk. Uh, to yes, him I think yeah, yeah. that one. They were, they were so <laughs> nice. They were so nice. Oh, yeah. But I mean, going yeah, back he, to the story, I mean, it's hmm. it's fairly it's fairly clear, really, that I mean, everybody has been sort of experiencing sort of. Uh, I, I think everybody in general is experiencing, you know, increased increased aviation sort of you know certainly nats figures aren't uh, aren't unusual i think I and think plus all the airline the board, orders as well all the all the yeah. you know the airlines that we talk about each week matt that yeah. are ordering new aircraft new aircraft i mean there, there must yeah. be something in that yeah. they wouldn't be spending yeah. money in on new aircraft if uh, you know uh, numbers would be staying the same mm. wouldn't they if they were just replacing you know f- uh, aircraft that were perhaps reaching the end of their life mm. you know it sort of suggests i think perhaps across the board so uh, it's uh, it's certainly a much easier way to get about than than the way i oh, do yes. it certainly <laughs> <laughs> so last story yep, last story this is uh, same same uh, website again that's breakingtravelnews.com and the ed- the headline is uh, American Airlines brings new business class to Manchester Airport. American Airlines flights between Manchester and New York will be operated using newly retrofitted uh, Boeing 767-300 ERs. Now, what's that? What's 767? Extended range. Extended ER. range. Yeah. Oh, what does that mean? It uh, goes further. Goes further, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Right, it's as simple as that. I, I thought perhaps it was it had a, you know, new There's a whole thing called ETOPS we could go into. But, okay, um, all right. I'll read the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, air, so anyway, uh, Boeing 767-300 ER aircraft, extended range aircraft from March the 29th, offering passengers a refreshed business class experience. American Airlines commenced retrofitting its existing 767-300 ERs last year to offer 28 fully lie-flat business class seats with aisle access from every seat. Manchester is the first American Airlines destination in the UK to showcase this exceptional new product. Other elements of the retrofit project include the installation of new LCD drop-down monitors on board, new digital audio systems, 
refreshed lavatories. Oh, I do like a refreshed toilet and uh, new seat covers uh, and cushions uh, in the main cabin that mirror the design of the Americans Boeing 777-300ER fleet for a more consistent wide body experience. As more retrofit aircraft prepare to enter service, uh, American will deploy the refreshed aircraft to additional international and domestic markets. David Thomas, uh, American Airlines Director of Sales for the UK 7 Ireland, said... We are delighted to introduce this new business class product to Manchester. The fully low flat seats with all aisle access are similar to our flagship 777-300ERs, providing a more consistent transatlantic experience to our customers. Manchester is important to America and to our joint business with British Airways, and so it is appropriate that we should offer uh, this uh, as part of our new UK launch. They do look. I mean, it's worth worth uh, googling this uh, particular story. So it's breakingtravelnews.com is where this is from. I these love pictures. Are amazing. They I know. They, they well, it looks a lot some more some of these aircraft. I know some of these aircraft interiors now, which are coming online, yeah. are just fantastic. You know, even yeah. the business economy, you know, economy you know, premium economy as well, and especially the business class and stuff yeah. are just fantastic. They really are. Yeah, I bet. Have um, have Grant? Have you seen the? Uh, I think it's Etihad who do that. Um, Oh, the, I forget the name of this. The re, is it the residence? The, the oh, all, up, the, up yeah. the front they do that first class. You know, yeah, you, yeah you've got like two rooms and That's a bedroom, it, yeah. and what? yeah, it's like oh yeah, it's <laughs> wow. It's basically what they're trying to do is see. A lot of the airlines have lost their first class passengers to um, corporate airlines, you know, like uh, biz jets. And so what's happened is uh, because a few of them thought, oh, my first-class passengers are leaving us and going to the other airline. Yeah. And then a bunch of them got together. And even before uh, 9-11, they found out that a whole lot of their first-class frequent travelers were going, stuff this, I'm getting an executive jet and mm. I'm doing my own flying. Yeah. And so this is sort of a way of trying to bring them back going, yeah, 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 you can have your executive jet. It flies when you want and all that. Mm. But you can't have this in a Gulfstream. And okay, while a yeah. Gulfstream G650ER can get pretty close, it doesn't quite do what's what they're doing in the in the, the residence. It's, it's insane. Awesome. It is so, it's so good. It's, it's so another cool. world, isn't it? I mean, we, we saw oh, the yeah. pictures. We had the pictures, didn't we, um, on the show a few a few episodes back? Don't we have the the sort of the front room and the twin oh, bedroom yeah, and the shower and. Yeah. and yeah. on an on an aircraft. It's a whole it's new. Yeah, you, yeah. You'd, you'd get off the other end and you just, you know, I've just been in a hotel for the night. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we know what's going on up there, but anyhow, it's it's not just you know. Excuse me, I'm close the door to go to sleep. It's yeah. like you know, I'm I'm going to kick back and make a fort. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, you cannot beat oh. a pillow fort. There is no other way <laughs> of, uh, of of enjoying one's flight. Well, Definitely well I, must not. Say, I must say, with the seven six seven three hundred ER, I mean, I'm looking at a model that I have here of a seven six seven four hundred, and the the, the rare yeah, one. basically. The 300 ER, it's apparently the most popular 767 out. I, I wish I had a model of that one. But it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. They the, the way they get that extended range is more fuel tank and they uh, modify the system, the, the structure that you can get a higher takeoff weight and right. tweak the engines a bit to give you more takeoff power and right. all that kind of stuff. And it lets you carry more and that gives you the extra range. Sometimes they put a bigger plug in. Yeah. And uh, like comparing the 400 the 767-400 to my 777-300ER um, yeah. model, and they're, they're almost the same length. Mm. It's just the 777 has a much wider fuselage. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's such a simple cool change stuff. almost, and, and it just basically it can just go further. 
yeah. What was the average range then? I'm, I'm going to ask oh, either God, one, you know one of you two are going to have to do this. You do yeah. this. <laughs> Come on, you should we'll, we'll know. We'll, we'll, ask Grant. we'll put yeah. him on the spot. That's not fair. He's our guest. We have to be nice <laughs> to him. Know. You are the one who's going to Google it. So what, what is the average <laughs> range of, a, of, a, of an ER? What, what, how much further will it go over a standard? Oh, um, right. I'll, come on, between you. Come on, you two. Shall I sing? Right, it's it's seven seven thousand one hundred and thirty kilometers. Which one's this? It's the three hundred. Yeah, is that the standard or the ER? No, that's the ER. That's the ER. So mm. what 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 is that in comparison to a standard three hundred? Oh, almost twice. Uh, yeah. So the the standard the standard seven six two does the seven thousand one hundred and thirty the um the go. ER will apparently do about eleven thousand wow there goodness go. me so it's yeah. like four four hundred is that miles or kilometers a kilometers so kilometers. it's a much longer piece of string wow <laughs> well indeed yes wow that, I mean that that that's that's not just adding a few k is it I mean that's adding a that's what nearly four five hundred k on top of the the original thing just by making a few tweaks mm. but, yeah wow. well I mean the 300 without the ER does about, uh, what are they saying here, 7,890 7, yeah. kilometres. Wow. So, yeah, you're getting an extra, you know, good couple of thousand K on top plus a bit of reserve. That's, inc- that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've, I've only ever flown on one, the 767-300. That was a lot, long, quite a few years ago. When Where I was, was that? When I was Where much, going much to? younger. That was flying to, that wasn't Malta, that was somewhere else in the med. I think it was Tenerife. Okay, I so I've lost interest now. It doesn't matter. I know. <laughs> Short attention span. My, yeah, my, 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 yeah. my, my mind is just filled with TriStar, thoughts oh, of TriStars dear. as usual, <laughs> but there you go. Dear, oh, dear. Grant, knows, Grant probably knows of my obsession with the, the L1011 TriStar, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, I'm... I'm I'm going to commit sacrilege here and go, well, actually, I like the DC-10. Uh, yeah. right, oh, we've lost a Skype connection. Sorry. Anyway, before this turns into some kind of hideous punch-up, I think it's time to have a very quick break. Yes. And, uh, we'll be back uh, in just a couple of minutes. We'll do the uh, military stories. And then, if Grant, if you're able to hang around, we, we'd like to have a bit of a chat about uh, about you and, uh, and and the other podcast. Why not? Yeah, cool. We'll come back to you after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. (laughs) (laughs) What is cricket, anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there we go. So what, wow. what, is, what is that? That's a very low-flying jet. Is it? I know that, but what is the jet? 
I don't know what the you jet don't is. Know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. So we're, we're back in the room. We Three, are. Two, one. We are back in the room. Yeah, Matt's having a small migraine. Matt's no, having a migraine, yes, oh, yes. Oh, Grant is still with us. Out. <laughs> no, it's here. not. Hide. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, still, I'm still ducking after that. Yeah, jet. quite right, quite right. Yeah. So we have a little splattering of military stories. Indeed, yes. Uh, so if everyone is ready, we shall uh, discuss some military stories. Are you ready, Matt? No. No, okay. <laughs> uh, are you ready across the pond? Oh, totally. Way down under. I'm good. Right, let's go. So with our first military story, it's the Royal Air Force site. And this one is regarding the terrible things that have been going on in Vanuatu. Is it how you pronounce that one? Vanuatu. Vanuatu, yeah. It's a terrible cyclone that uh, hit there and has caused caused a huge amount of devastation. It's been Mm. terrible what's been going on there. Um, but luckily, with uh, with a lot of help from around the world, including uh, you guys over in Australia as well, because you guys have sent a lots of, uh, of aid and stuff across as well, haven't you? The uh, Royal Air Force have uh, sent uh, a C-17 Globemaster carrying uh, shelters, lighting equipment, and stuff, and which has uh, arrived uh, and it was arrived actually on the two p.m. on Thursday the nineteenth, which was early this week wasn't it Um, that was carrying uh, just over 1500 shelter kits which can house families of up to five people and also nearly 2000 solar lanterns as well uh, with inbuilt mobile phone chargers have all been sent sent how do I get one of those (laughs) yeah the uh, UK Department for International Development, the DFID, supplies uh, will help protect some of the most vulnerable people affected by the cyclone, especially women and children. The International Development Security uh, oh, Secretary, sorry, Justine Greening, said that Britain's ability to rapid, uh, rapidly respond, blimey, the coffee's affecting here, uh, to humanitarian disasters on the other side of the world is something in, to be incredibly proud of. Cyclone Pam's trail of destruction has left thousands of people without their home and access to power. The emergency shelter kits and solar lanterns which have arrived uh, with thanks uh, to the swift and invaluable support of the Royal Air Force will help meet the people's basic needs. Britain stands ready to assist further to ensure supplies get to those in need and will continue to support the government of Vanatu as support of the wider Commonwealth effort. Uh, just looking at the pictures here mm. uh, with the, the Globe Master there with all the uh, aid and stuff on. Yeah. It's great that, you know, when things like this do happen, that um, so many countries and that do literally on the wow. wall straight away. To yeah, we we have to really. Can't, mm. You can't expect a, some of these countries to sort of, I mean, they, they, I think even even we'd struggle. I mean, if we had a similar thing here, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. you know, you, you, you couldn't survive without help from, from around the globe. And that's what, what makes sort of, things great really isn't yeah it? well because uh, you guys have also sent some aid across as well haven't you grant yeah we have uh there's been multiple c-17s from our side going across yeah. uh so we've had our globe masters pretty busy um at least one a day taking uh supplies they're going to take a couple of black hawks over uh we've got uh yeah when they come back they're pretty much empty so they bring mm. back some evacuees uh, yeah. We've had some C-130Js go over with uh, teams of people to help with disaster relief and so on. So lots of equipment, lots of emergency supplies, uh, teams of people to help out. 
Uh, we've also had like a uh, one of the Orions and the Austro Aussie version, the AP3C, yeah. uh, which was cool. nearby. And the Solomons has come through and doing a lot of imagery, so they can figure out where where's been hit hardest. Yeah. Uh, we've now got a couple of King Airs op operating in the area, and uh, the HMAS Tobruk, a heavy duty landing craft uh, vessel, has gone over with a uh, MRH90. We call them the Taipan. You guys call them the Merlin, I believe. Yes. The, uh, uh, yeah, the Merlin. Yeah. 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 And uh, so it's taken one of those and a whole stack of supplies and uh, small ships to deploy it and all that kind of stuff. So it should be there in a few days. So, yeah, quite a bit going from us. And the Kiwis have been pretty involved, sending a lot mm, of stuff up yeah. from New Zealand and all that. Because, uh, yeah, the poor folks in Vanuatu, it's a beautiful place, lovely to go to. Uh, we were actually considering going and having a holiday there later in the year. Mm. Um, we've been looking at like a July to August is a good time to be in the tropics. But, mm. uh, yeah, the Port Vila has been pretty much flattened. Well, I think, I think if you can get to a part where it hasn't been flattened, though, I mean, one, one thing I've learned from various documenta documentaries I've watched about when disasters like this have happened, they rely so heavily on tourism to, to sort of yeah. get themselves up and running. So, I mean, you sort of, if, if you can find a part that sort of that survived, I guess it's even more mm. important that you go and visit these places oh, just yeah. to help them get themselves back Correct. on their own feet, I think, really. I mean, the island, yeah. the island that we stayed at for our honeymoon yeah. um, oh, in yeah. 2011... Yeah. We stayed on that island, and that that island we stayed on was wiped out in the really? tsunami. Wow! Um, yep. God, which was quite a few. It's a few years ago now. Yeah. I forget which year. What year was the tsunami? No, that was two thousand. Two thousand or so. No, Just celebrate the tenth anniversary, wasn't it? But recently? that that the island we stayed on was wiped out. But yeah. I tell you, you, you wouldn't think it. it no. You know, it was an amazing place. No. You know, and and the, yeah. the people there were fantastic. You know, the staff, the the, the locals mm. and stuff were fantastic. Well, if you're out there, you know, hope, hope you can get yourselves back on back on your feet very yeah. soon. So our hearts go out to everyone involved. I think. Yes. To say anyway, next story. Next story. Uh, this is uh, flightglobal.com, and the headline is RAF Hercules get extended range upgrade. Several of the Royal Air Force's Lockheed Martins uh, C-130J's tactical transports have been upgraded for extended range operations. The UK Ministry of Defence says nine of the services Hercules have been equipped with external fuel tanks under a modification activity valued at around seven million pounds. That's about ten point three million. Dollars, uh, Minister for Defence Equipment Support and Technology Philip Dunn said earlier this month, responding to a parliamentary question. In addition to increased air-to-air -air refueling cap uh, capacity, the external tanks have been extend have extended the range of the C-130J to around about three thousand nautical miles, roughly five thousand five hundred and fifty kilometres. The MOD has said. Um, Flight Global's Ascend Fleet database recalls the RAF is currently flying 24 C-130Js. Its last examples of the type are expected to leave operational use in 2022, with their duties to be progressively assumed by its Airbus A400M Atlas fleet. So as of um, as of the end or beginning of sorry beginning of last year, there's yeah. over 300 of these aircraft, the J series, been built. Yeah, um, with a unit cost. Um, a flyaway cost, as they say here, um, of sixty-seven point three million dollars. Wow! Which is um, it's not cheap, is it? No, <laughs> for no. an aircraft. It, I mean, it but, seems uh, a bit strange to be spending that kind of money on them, though. If they're coming out of service in what sort of eight eight years? I think they'll be flying really? for a. I well, they said eight, Well, they said twenty twenty two that they were they were coming out of service. Mm, so I think, I think yeah, is that is that about right? I, I mean, it's. 
just seems it, like a, a lot of money to spend on something that they're because the see the, the J series had a huge, well, they had, obviously have a huge avionics upgrade mm. um, yeah. as Grant would probably know with all the glass you know glass cockpit and stuff yeah um, and it's, it's in it's in use with quite a lot of bigger you know the bigger uh, military sort of forces over the, yeah. across the globe including obviously the Royal Air Force and yeah. the USAF as well and the oh. United States Marine Corps as well yeah and also the Italians have also got the J series as well in service yep. but it first flew in 1996. It's just not that old a plane, really. We've we've got them down here. Um, Those those external fuel tanks are very much like the ones we used to have on our H series Mm. uh, between the the two engines on the wings. And, uh, yeah, look, I mean, £7 million to get a lot more range for Mm. eight years is not a bad thing. Yeah, I suppose not. Yeah, Uh, it just seems like a big number, I suppose. That's where it's just, Yeah, It's big compared to our pocketbooks, but compared to what it costs to buy them in the first place, Not that much. No, that's true. <laughs> but do, would you say, um, because we cover the A400M quite a bit on the yeah. program, don't we? Mm. The uh, Airbus's sort of um, the military version. Military version. Yeah. yeah. What, what, yep. would you, what would you say is your favourite out of the two? Can put them side by side, Grant. You've got the, the C130J and the A400M side by side. Where, where are you going to run to? <laughs> okay. Um, well, Funny you should say that because at Avalon we did have the 400M there during the um, trade days. Uh, By the time the public turned up, it had uh, headed off on its round-the-world tour. But uh, I did get to go on board and do some interviews on the flight deck and uh, rather enjoy the uh, systems on board. Didn't get to fly in it, unfortunately. But, uh, look, the A400M is pretty cool. Uh, A little bit smaller than the Herc but carries a fair bit. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard because the J's are stretched, Herc. So yeah. the, 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 some of the J guys were like, oh, look, you know, it only carries one more pellet than we can. <laughs> um, so, but, I mean, it's got a better range. Uh, the French were pretty impressed with it. Uh, two, okay, two things that stood out was that the, I mean, you think that the C-130J with its glass cockpit is pretty cool. The A400M is, of course, an Airbus product. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, the computers fly it, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Lots of lots of glass, lots of amazing stuff. But the thing that had a couple of the C-130J guys going, yeah, okay, you win, was the um, toilets. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember you mentioned that on the show. Yeah, I remember you saying <laughs> that airline. on the show. Yeah, yeah they're, it's like being in an airliner. It's, ah, except yeah. it's grey. It's it's amazing. It was like, oh my god, yeah, look at the little <laughs> busy sign, and you open it, and it's like, wow, there's a mirror, and there's a you know wash basin, and yes, because on mil- mil- military sorties, obviously you need to check your hair regularly. Oh, totally. <laughs> but I think the think the uh, the RAF guys with with the um, C one thirty Js, they used to sort of opening the door and finding sort of a hole in the floor. Right, yeah, right. I see. Pretty yes. close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. Okay, so uh, moving on. door thing? Yeah, yeah. What the hell? <laughs> it's a curve. I mean, I haven't a got curve. to share my bodily functions with everyone else. <laughs> oh, blimey. Uh, yeah, yeah no, no, definitely time to move on, children. Yeah. Definitely. Next yeah. story. <laughs> Next story. So, Royal Air Force uh, site, this one. Uh, brilliant story. Uh, Red Arrows return to RAF Cosford. So organisers of the RAF Cosford Air Show uh, confirmed that the world-famous Red Arrows would again be headlining the show on Sunday the 14th of June this year. Acknowledged as one of the best aerobatic display teams in the world, the Red Arrows have recently revealed a new paint scheme for their Hawk aircraft. 
um, showcasing them as the best of British. Uh, the team's display mixes a graceful nine-ship formation with thrilling synchro manoeuvres, all of which involve their patriotic red, white and blue smoke. An air show spokesperson, Peter Roche, said the Red Arrows inspire and entertain millions of people annually, and we are extremely pleased to see them returning to RAF Cosford. Uh, the flying display for this year's show is filling up fast with a carefully selected mix of exciting aircraft, uh, historic warbirds and entertaining civilian acts. With the news of the Red Arrows attendance, organisers are again reminding visitors of the new advanced ticket-only policy, which means unlike previous shows, tickets will not be sold at the gate. Adult tickets priced at £22 each are already on sale and will be available from selected outlets from April. For the first time, tickets for the RAF Cosford Air Show 2015 are advanced sale only. And the adult tickets, as we said, at £22 with accompanied under-16s coming free. Uh, for more details on the event and to purchase tickets, uh, you can visit their website at uh, allaws.cosfordairshow.co.uk. So that's great. Another confirmed um, show for the uh, Red Arrows then, Matt. Just, just out of uh, curiosity, Grant, uh, I mean, obviously, you, I mean, you must be familiar with the, the, um, the Red Arrows um, where you are. I mean, what, did the Australians have a, have an equivalent sort of air show sort of display team? Display yeah, team. We have the roulettes. Uh, they used to fly the Mackie jet, mm. um, a two-seat inline jet trainer. But uh, these days they fly the Pilatus PC9 uh, turboprop. Cool. And uh, they do a six, typically a six-ship uh, display. Sometimes it might be four, but yeah. uh, occasionally you might just get a singleton doing a, a solo aerobatics if mm. it's just a smaller. Uh, show, but um, yeah, look, the Red Arrows. I definitely know them. I, for as long as I've known them, they were flying the Nat. Yes, uh, the Fallen Nat. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, there is a uh, Fallen Nat uh, rebuilt here in uh, Melbourne. It's sitting in Essendon Airport yeah. in Red Arrows colours. Oh, cool. Uh, but I, I, you know, the Hawk. We have the Hawk here as one of our trainers. But you'll only ever see that doing a solo aerobatic display. They don't normally do formation with those. The the roulettes are still just using the turboprops. Mm. Now, just looking on the uh, Roulette's website here, actually, yeah. um, Grant, as we talk, and the Royal Australian Air Force uh, Roulette's, and uh, they've just got the line-up here for, um, for their display season uh, with the, yep. with the uh, squadron leader, Glenn Canfield. Mm. Yes. Roulette leader, yeah. Um, yep. it's a it's kind of a it's a similar kind of thing to the red yeah. arrows where you've got the you've got the you know the guy the pilots obviously in that in a, yeah. in a certain color mm. uh, overall and uh, like the engineering guys and because yeah. you know, like the red arrows have um, have their engineering chaps who follow them around and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, these guys have got the similar sort of outfit as well. But it'd be it's a shame they couldn't come over to the UK really, mm. uh, Grant, and sort of display here. For, yeah, for yeah, that show. would be cool. That would be really cool. Well, but I suppose it's a bit too far for them. <laughs> yeah, probably just a lot of range. Yes, <laughs> a few stops. Well, I've, I've, on met the a, I've met. I've met. I haven't met the current team, but um, I've met some of the guys from the previous teams, and mm. I know a number of ex raffies who were in the roulettes, including one who uh, flies hot air balloons these days. And, yeah, yeah, he was a roulette. He's he used to be our safety officer for the Australian Ballooning Federation. Yeah. Um, incredible guy. He's an ex roulette and. Uh, yeah, he. I've got an interview that I've got to get around to editing from mm. a few years back with him, and oh, cool. uh, he talks about how much he loves flying a balloon, let alone compared to you know <laughs> yeah. jets and so on. Oh, awesome. I look, for, look forward to hearing that. Have, have you ever seen the Red Arrows? 
Uh, not in, in the reality, no. I've seen them on videos yeah. and... Uh, Quite a video, videos don't do it justice. That's the trouble. No, <laughs> right. So, so for this year, then your uh, mission grant is yes. to get over here for Riyadh. Yeah, jo- join me in right. that. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, You've got okay, some time so to save. <laughs> I think there's a couple of banks down the road. I might yeah. go, go and rob one. It'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> you must. You must have loads of Qantas frequent flyer miles. Though, uh, I no, think there are probably better I things he could spend them on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> coming over. Anyway, next story. Last, final yeah. story. This uh, this week uh, certainly for the military anyway uh, this is on the raw the royal air force site again and the headline is uh, RAF displays added to the air tattoo lineup Yay. Uh, a two ship roll demo featuring BAE systems hawk t2s a spitfire typhoon synchro display and the red arrows are among the list of RAF aircraft that will be on display in the air and on the ground uh, at this year's uh, this summer's air tattoo at RAF Fairford on July 17th to 19th Following on from its 50th display season celebrations at the Air Tattoo last year, the Red Arrows will be displaying throughout the three-day event sporting a patriotic new design of their tail fins. A newer model of the Hawk will be featured in a routine, uh, making its public air show debut at the Air Tattoo. This is the Hawk T2 BAE Systems' latest version of the enduring design. Um, No fourth uh, reserve squadron uh, stationed at RAF Valley on Anglesey is putting together a new two aircraft roll demo to showcase the type's capabilities on the airshow circuit for the first time. The Hawks will be demonstrative, uh, will demonstrate something of the training performed at Valley being flown by two instructors on the unit. Flight Lieutenant Ben Polwyn and Toby Keeley, uh, Riat 2015, will be the role demo's inaugural appearance in front of a public air display crowd, representing the cutting edge of the RAF's front line at the air tattoo, very appropriately given the event's operational theme of securing the skies past, present and future, will be the solo Eurofighter Typhoon FGR-4 display from number 29 Reserve Squadron at RAF Coningsby. This year's pilot is Flight Lieutenant uh, Johnny Doan, representing the old and the new of UK Air Defence. A Typhoon will also team up with the Spitfire from the RAF Battle of Britain Memorial Flight for an evocative and spectacular synchro pair routine. This part of the service's contribution to the Battle of Britain's 75th anniversary commemorations taking place this year. Aside from the two Hurricanes and four Spitfires already confirmed as coming to Riyadh 2015, the BBMF is also sending its majestic Avro Lancaster bomber. In addition to those aircraft taking part in the flying displays, the RAF is also committing a number of assets to Riyadh 2015 static park especially notable among these are the seeking rescue helicopter from a flight of 20 number 22 squadron probably uh, taking its final air tattoo appearance before retirement and a tornado gr4 operated by uh, this is i've always struggled with roman roman numerals by number 15 reserve squadron and a unit celebrating its 100th anniversary in 2015 with a spe- with a specially painted aircraft. I'm looking forward to React this year. Yeah. Because yeah. Matt Matt is coming with me this year. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Cool. Yeah. 
Fingers and toes all crossed. Fingers with and toes crossed. Anything else other yeah. than John a warm day? We've uh, <laughs> me and Matt have got um, our tickets yeah, for the Saturday and Sunday, haven't we? Mm, with um, yeah, with accommodation we. as well. Yes. Um, but this it'll be Matt's first time at Riyadh. Yeah. So uh, it should be yeah. it should be pretty awesome. Well, I've right. been to Duck. I've been to Ducks for a couple, a couple of times, which is a sort of Cambridge area, and, and I've also been to. I went to Waddington last year. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it, and I said, "Well, that's that's what kind of started all this, wasn't it?" Because I ended up sending you a <laughs> yeah. a report because yeah. uh, yeah. Simon was was in this seat before me, and uh, yeah, I, I sort of sent a report in, and that sort of went went on from there, really. Yeah. And now I'm here every. How did that happen again? Oh, I don't know because <laughs> you're. Cause you're... Because you're a good chap, but thank you very much. You're most kind. That's fine. You can pay me later. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> no, it, uh, it's a sh- it's a shame you guys can't get other grant because mm. it would be it, uh, would, it would just be it. mega to uh, you know to have you all here and uh, you know, do a do a, a massive joint huge <laughs> podcast. Me, yes. Oh my god, yes. could it survive us all? No, <laughs> no. Frankly, <laughs> the amount of editing required, I think, would would give us a little <laughs> headache. Anyway, the, uh, to be, I mean, we got some great interviews last year. Yeah. You know the guys there were fantastic, and that, with the media sent and stuff, yeah. uh, were really good. That's that's one of the great things I said. I think I said to you in the in the past, Grant. Is this you know the whole, you know when you when you start doing these podcast stuff and that, and you, you get the the media attention and stuff from um, the different air shows. Is, is some of the stuff they they do for you is really great, mm. isn't it? The, oh yeah, you, having the the ability to sort of go places where the where the public can't go. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, you you were at um you 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 of course went to Avalon, didn't you? This 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 uh, year. Um, yep. And uh, well, I mean, what would you say is uh, uh, your highlight of um, of 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 Avalon twenty fifteen? Well, I mean, was anything that really stands out as mm. as a, 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 a good apart display? from being there with uh, with Steve, of course, yes, yeah. Well, you know, apart from uh, the PCBU team once again, yes, uh, going nuts, and we're still editing the content. Uh, we've got two episodes out. We're working on a third, and maybe even a fourth. And yeah. the video is being done. Oh my God, there's lots, but um, the uh, look, a big big highlight was the guys from the Vintage Aviator Limited in uh, Hood Aerodrome Masterton, just north of Wellington over in New Zealand. They brought some of their replicas over. They didn't bring the rebuilds, just the replicas, but they were fantastic. Um, amazing attention to detail, and they were doing a World War One reenactment above us every day. Wow. Uh, absolutely amazing. And uh, a couple of uh, vintage aircraft came down from Queensland as well. Uh, so there was a couple of Fokker triplanes out there. There was... Uh, um, Oh, an RE8, Bristol Fighter. Um, there was a, a few German ones, the um, the D8 and the D7. I think there was a Fultz up there as well. And it was just awesome. Uh, that was really cool to see. And I, I kind of love the old stuff. Uh, another really big highlight was definitely just catching up with everyone. Mm. Uh, you know, recurring interviews with some of the people. Uh, caught up with uh, Mike Basler, who, or Bowser rather, who uh, from Airbus. We'd met him when we were shooting video for the A350 when that came through. The Airbus hired us to, to shoot video of the Australian flights when they were doing route proving. Wow. And so I met Mike then and, you know, uh, was at one of the Airbus things. And he said, hey, how are you going? And we had a good chat and did a quick interview and everything. And oh, and um, some of the others from Airbus and folks from um, Gulfstream were, uh, you know, we hadn't seen since two years ago. And they were like, oh, it's great to see you again. Come on through. Let's do another interview. And, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that was really, really cool. Um, of course, the A400M, that was uh, quite spectacular to, to check out. Uh, yeah. Watched it depart, but uh, didn't, it didn't do any displays or anything like that. It was uh, you know, too busy flying around and actually being used. <laughs> but um, but that, that was an impressive piece of kit. And... Uh, 
Yeah, the RAF, the RAF and Australian Defence Force put on quite an interesting integrated display. They had uh, a P3 Orion blowing up a mock sub. They had, uh, which is hard <laughs> when it's surrounded by land, no water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, then they had um, uh, battlefield insertion of, uh, through helicopters of, t- of um, soldiers and securing the area. Then a C17 did a tactical arrival. Um, C130Js beat up and de- delivered, and uh, then they had a, a one of the uh, I think, um, well, we call it the MRTT, the KC-30A. It's the Airbus A330 tanker transport. Yeah. Uh, so you had had a, a few Super Hornets come through and blow up the airfield, which was quite spectacular, of course. Um, they, they had, um, I think it was four, no, three Super Hornets involved and a PC-9 as forward air control. Uh, so he was stooging around and marking targets and calling them in and all that kind of stuff. And... Yeah, nothing quite like Super Hornets coming through and blowing up a field and pyrotechnics going <laughs> yeah, off. I'll bet. Yeah, that that was cool. And then the MRTT came through with the three supers in formation, and it let the um, it had the the wing tip, the, the the on the wings they've got the pods that let out the drogues oh, yeah. for the air to air refueling. So the Super Hornets oh, were tucked right, in yeah. on the wing, not quite in contact with the baskets, but no. uh, just in behind, just them enough to the sort of get the feel for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and on one of the days they actually ran a buddy pod off one of the Super Hornets. He had a, a refueling pod under the wing. Mm. So it, um, I, I saw a photo of it. I didn't actually get to see it, but mm. uh, you had the one on each wing of the MRTT and the one in the back was plugged into one of the other Hornets. So that was pretty cool. I haven't wow. seen if, uh, if that really did happen, I haven't seen that since uh, I was in New Zealand when uh, the Kiwis used to have a four-ship um, A4 Skyhawk team and they'd do a formation barrel roll with the slot number four aircraft actually air-to-air refueling connected. They wouldn't pass fuel, but they're actually connected and plugged into the basket of the pro of the drone Lord. doing a barrel roll. Absolutely incredible. How on earth? How on earth does that even work? That, that I definitely would love to see. Well, yeah. yeah. that's just that's just very tight formation flying. Yeah. Uh, I saw this in 1981, and mm. it was one of the last displays they ever did, uh, I believe, but it was definitely the last ANZUS air show uh, just before I left New Zealand. And it was... You've got a buddy pod on the center line of the lead aircraft and he just runs the drogue out. The other guy puts the probe in and then stays connected as they do a formation barrel roll and a few things like that. That's just incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. incredible. Yeah. yeah. Very good flying. Yeah, I bet, yeah. So we have got uh, we've got a segment from Pip. Yep. We better put that. Um, we're gonna put that in, drop yep. that in, and Ooh. then we're gonna grill Grant. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> right, no no Barbies involved. Oh, <laughs> So suddenly I'm craving shrimps. I don't I know. know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> right, so we're going to play uh, Pip's segment. Pip's yep. got us, uh, he's de- delivered us another awesome segment this yep. week, all about becoming a pilot. Oh, so cool. we're going to play that segment for you right now. And now it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hi, everybody. This week's segment comes to you courtesy of Abbott's IPA. Now, I was in the pub the other night enjoying a tasty pint of IPA with some friends of mine, some non-flying friends, and we got to chatting about how you become a pilot and how you become a captain. And they asked some questions like, well, how do you, as a first officer, how do you become a real pilot? And I tried to explain, no, 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 that's not the case. A first officer or a co-pilot, whatever you want to call them, is a fully qualified real pilot. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to perhaps expel that myth, because I think it's quite common in the, the general populace 
that uh, you know when we see a story on the news about aviation that the the co-pilot is some sort of unqualified underling who's just there to to hold the clipboard or or serve the tea or something like that but that's not the case at all so i'll take this opportunity and just go through and talk about briefly how you become a pilot and then how you become a captain now there are several routes to becoming a professional pilot and one of the most obvious ones is through the military but i'm I'm not going to talk about that but instead i'm going to concentrate on the two routes that are available to people today which are called the modular and integrated route and basically what that means they're the same thing they're the same courses you get the same qualifications but with the modular route you kind of do it bit by bit it's piecemeal you do uh, a bit here and a bit there in your free time whereas an integrated course is a full-time course at an approved training provider and there are some some minor differences in the hours requirements for each one but it's broadly a similar thing the big difference of course is cost the modular generally is a, a far cheaper way of doing it uh, whereas the integrated routes will certainly cost you something approaching if not more than a six-figure sum a hundred thousand pounds plus so let's pretend you've woken up out of bed one morning and you said hey i want to be an airline pilot well the first thing you're going to need to do is go and get a ppl a private pilot's license which is what carlos is doing at the moment and this is a minimum of a 45 hour course and this will give you the right to fly a single engine airplane with passengers for a non-commercial basis i.e. you can't get paid for flying with a ppl now once you've got a ppl you'll need to build up a few hours before you become eligible to start a commercial course and i think the hours requirement is about 150 hours so that's your ppl training 45 plus another 105 hours at least it was when i went through training about 15 years ago and once you've got those 150 hours you can then start on a commercial pilot's license course which is i think about 30 hours of training and again it's on single engine airplanes generally and this course is basically a rehash of the ppl but you're just being trained and examined to higher standards more stringent requirements and then if you pass this course you can then be paid to fly but a cpl on its own isn't much good because at this stage all you're qualified to fly is a single engine airplane and there's not much of a business using single engine airplanes in airlines so then you need to add a multi-engine rating onto your license which is a five-hour course you go off and you learn to fly multi-engine aircraft but again this still isn't going to do you much good because so far all you've learned to do is to fly a multi-engine aircraft or a twin engine aircraft in vfr conditions again that's not much good for airline flying so the next big hurdle is to get an instrument rating and this is quite an involved course it's quite a tough course certainly i found it the toughest part of my training and an instrument rating is a 50-hour course some of which can be done in a basic simulator i think up to 20 hours can be done in a simulator and then 30 hours on the aircraft in actual uh, imc or simulated imc conditions and this is where you learn to fly the aircraft purely on the basis of the instruments so you can fly through any weather conditions at night in cloud purely by reference to the instruments and you learn now how to fly ILSs, how to fly ndb approaches how to hold is a big part of it learning how to do holding and you have a big test at the end it's about a two-hour test and then if you pass that you've then got what we colloquially call a frozen atpl now that's that term doesn't actually have any real meaning it's just a, a sort of term that's come into use what you've really got is a cpl plus instrument rating but even now you're not quite ready to go and apply at the airlines for a job there's one little thing you need to do now and that's called an mcc course or a multi-crew cooperation course and this is a short course it's a few days long and it's 
purely classroom based and a few practical exercises in a basic simulator and this is where you go and learn to fly or learn to operate as part of a crew as a, as a two-man crew and now once you've passed this once you've got that MCC certificate you're now ready to go and start knocking on doors you've got your CPL you've got your multi-engine instrument rating and you've got an MCC certificate so now you're employable at least in theory now unfortunately with the advent of the low-cost operators uh, who try to maximize every single pound or dollar or, or euro for their company it's become a pretty standard practice now for all new hires to buy their own what we call type rating and a type rating is this training on a specific aeroplane type so a Boeing 737 or an Airbus A320 or, or whatever the aircraft is that the airline operates it's standard practice now for the for the potential new employee to go and buy their own type rating training and that's a costly exercise that will cost something in the order of £30,000 well it's a matter of opinion but I personally I, I don't like this that should be the burden of the airline to to carry it's a lot of money if they have confidence in you and they have faith in you and they've done their recruitment process correctly then they they should be willing to to fund that portion of the training that's my opinion anyway but it's pretty usual these days for people to go and buy their own type rating for better or worse but actually it does get worse it's also fairly common these days having paid for your type rating to then go and pay for some actual airline experience so instead of an airline hiring you and paying you to fly you can go and buy these programs for oh I don't know how much money a lot of money where you go and fly 500 hours or so for an airline and you're paying the airline to fly for them which seems a bit crazy but that's just market forces I guess with so many people wanting to become airline pilots you know the number of people outstripping the number of jobs available uh, people are willing to go to pretty crazy lengths to get that job but anyway that's what some people are doing and I think this is more of a unfortunately I hate to say it there's more of a European and Asian phenomenon I don't think that happens really in the States I think they've uh, got a, a different setup there and, and I think it's working better for them but anyway you're now at a stage where you're with an airline sitting in the right hand seat you've gone through their selection process which could be as simple as a uh, an interview with a, a chief pilot or it might be a very in-depth thing like we do at my airline or other airlines like British Airways where you do aptitude tests, you do simulator assessments, you have technical interviews, this sort of thing. So it can be quite an involved process and it takes a, a great deal of effort on the candidate's part to, to be ready to present themselves to an airline for a job. But as I say, it's in some cases, sadly, the size of your wallet or the spending power on your credit card is as much a factor in you getting a job as is your skill in the simulator or technical abilities. But you're now an employed first officer or co-pilot sitting in the right hand seat of an aeroplane with an airline so congratulations well done and technically you're now fully qualified you've got a type rating on this aircraft and you should be able to operate it solo on your own should your captain suddenly have a heart attack or become incapacitated you're now qualified to fly that aeroplane take off and land well you won't take off if your captain's had a heart attack but you should be able to land it but much like when you pass your driving test for the first time I'm sure we all remember that we thought we were the God's gift to driving but we quickly learnt that in fact we were not and it's the same for pilots you, you get in and your first job and you think hey I'm here I am super pilot but no you, you learn fairly quickly that you don't really know too much you've got the basics but it's experience that counts and it takes a few years to build up some experience you know some airlines are flying not so many hours whereas other airlines the low costs 
are flying the maximum 900 hours a year. So you build up hours fairly quickly. So it shouldn't take more than a year or so before you could really say, as a first officer, you're very comfortable and knowledgeable and, and competent in the right-hand seat. But as far as the, the sort of split of duty between captain and first officer goes, there isn't the job is it's fairly well identical. You both are qualified to fly the aeroplane. You both do fly the aeroplane. You take it in turns. This is a standard practice. Uh, you, for one flight, you'll be pilot monitoring, i.e. doing the radios, monitoring what the other guy is doing, doing some paperwork, uh, this kind of thing. And then on the next flight, you'll swap roles and you'll become pilot flying. So you'll manipulate the aircraft controls. You'll actually fly the aircraft and you'll act really as the captain for that flight. The only difference now really is the captain has ultimate responsibility for that flight and everything that happens on it so it's his license his neck on the line if it goes wrong so that's the main difference really and it can be the case in some airlines and certainly at my airline where we have some hugely experienced people sitting in the right hand seat some first officers who are more experienced in some case than the captain it's all a question of, of when you join the company in seniority which brings us on to how do you become a captain well for one thing, you have to have the basic minimum hours, which varies between airline to airline, but generally it's about 3,000 hours you need minimum to become a captain. Now, as I say, if you're flying 900 hours a year at EasyJet or Ryanair, then you can get those 3,000 hours pretty quickly within you know, just over three years. You could then be eligible to become captain, which I think throws up some potential uh, safety risks. Three years flying whilst you might have the, the minimum hours after those three years, three years flying has not really exposed you to a great range of experiences. For instance, you've only gone through three winters. Now, it could be that those three winters you've flown through have been pretty mild winters, so you may become a captain having never really experienced harsh winter conditions and, and gaining that crucial experience. So I think, personal opinion again here, but I think hours requirement is only one part of the the qualification to become a captain but anyway once you've got your minimum hours you might then expect to become a captain but then there's also this element of seniority within the company which plays a big part you can't just get your hours then hey presto you magically become a captain if there are no positions within the company if there's no requirements to become a captain then well you're out of luck on this occasion or if you've got a whole string of guys who are more senior than you who have been in the company longer than you well, then you're going to have to wait your turn, unfortunately, no matter how experienced or how good a pilot you are. You might be super pilot. You might be the, the king of all pilots. But if it's not your turn, then you're going to be sat there in the right hand seat for a little bit longer waiting for your number to come up. And this is particularly true when you swap companies. So when you go for a direct entry pilot in another company, so you leave whatever company you started from and you might have 10,000 hours and you go to another company. But unfortunately, you then start at the bottom of the seniority ladder. So you may well be sitting there with 10,000 hours plus, maybe three times more experience than the captain you're flying with. But until your number comes up, until it's your turn, you will not be making four stripes. But you are a fully qualified, capable and competent pilot, as much so or even more so than the captain you're sitting with. So when you see these news stories and they make a big deal about... You know, the the first officer was, was flying hero, first officer lands plane after captain has a heart attack. Well, forget that. There's no hero first officers. There's just doing a job there. Every bit as capable as flying the aircraft as, as any captain. And you may say, well, why do first officers want to become captains then if if the job is essentially the same? 
Well, that's a pretty fair question. And it's true there are some first officers who would rather stay in the right-hand seat. They don't want to become captain. Depends on the company, I suppose. At many airlines, you get a a pay rise every year. So if you've been sitting in the right-hand seat as a first officer for 10 or 15 years, you may be on a pretty good salary. And actually, moving to a junior captain's position may, in fact, entail a pay cut. So it's true for some people, they may prefer to stay in the right-hand seat. It's a nice job without the added responsibility of captaincy. But I think it's true to say that most pilots their goal is to become a captain and in most cases it does entail a at least in my airline a a fairly hefty pay rise of course with extra pay comes extra responsibility as captain you'll be held at fault if something does go wrong but i would say generally the pros of becoming captain far outweigh the cons for a start as captain you will always be flying with your favorite captain because you'll be the captain you have to be a bit of a chameleon as a first officer you have to be very adaptable Uh, Now, whilst everyone should be flying to the same SOPs and the same procedures, you do get quite a a varying standard of of personality and and skill level and adherence to SOPs from the captains that you fly with. So you need to to adapt to each individual a a little bit, and that can be quite, quite tough sometimes. So it would certainly be true that most first officers would like to become captains as soon as possible. And how do you do that? Well... You just have to be the very best first officer you can be. Know your procedures, do well in your sim rides, do well in your annual line checks, and try and impress the the right people. And more than anything, just bide your time and wait for your number to come up. Anyway, I've rambled on a little bit longer than I had intended to there, but that's just basically a little description of, of how you become a pilot and how you become a captain. So now it's back to Matt and Carlos in the studio. Over to you, fellas. This is Pilot Pip signing off. So thanks very much then, Pip, for that segment, as yeah. always. And, uh, yeah, Grant, you, you're going to say something about some beer. <laughs> oh, I mean, all due respect to Pip, love his work, but yeah. what is it about podcasting pilots and beer? I mean, it's not just Pip, it's me, it's the uh, you know, uh, Carl has been known guys. to occasionally consume the odd light ale. <laughs> yeah, I've seen oh. his Facebook feeds. Yeah, yeah um, indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, brilliant. But what yeah. is it about us, you know? It's, it's, it's like the uncontrolled airspace guys. You know, they have a beer podcast occasionally interrupted by flying. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like, a, sounds like a perfect recipe. I, I do. Oh. Is it because is it you have to be very drunk to listen? To... No, 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 sorry. It takes a little bit of lubrication to get the voice box to go to That's actually it. unwind and, and deliver some of the stories. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, thanks again, Pip, for uh, sending yeah. us in your segment. Don't and forget, and an excellent have... choice of ale, I should say. Oh, yes. Brewed oh, yeah. very locally yes. to yes. ourselves here in Barry Edmonds just up the road oh, from us. Yes. So uh, yes, so thanks very much for Pip for that. Excellent. Um, you can find Pip. Don't forget, you can find him in the Plane Safety Podcast on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, catch him on there and download his show. Yeah, well, we'll listen another fantastic yeah. show each week. Yeah, yep. um, so highly there. recommended. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Right, Grant. So, moving it's on. Grilling time. Well, <laughs> moving actually, on. Before, the, before you apply the the flame. Yes, he says. <laughs> trying to avoid it. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I must say. Uh, Mega thanks to Pilot Pip. I've been meaning to send him an email to say thanks. He uh, really uh, um, impressed with his plane safety. Yeah. And in fact, I used some of the, uh, when he was reviewing the uh, accident report from one of the Red Arrows accidents, uh, uh, yes. I used yeah, some yeah. of his comments and things like that uh, when I was trying to convince some of the guys here about safety and yeah, so on. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, I, I must send him an email to say thanks because that was really cool. Do 
do well. Yeah, I think you've already done it, sir. It's uh, yeah. he, we know he listens to it, so it's uh, as he does as he does yours as well. So, yeah, so. oh so. my god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There we are. So, so right, we're, we're yeah. gonna move on now. And uh, Grant, uh, now you 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 do fly, um, yes. uh, but it's not in one of those um, silly things that has an engine attached to it, like Carl is learning to fly <laughs> at the moment. Now, now the, the, the balloons. Uh, talk yes. me through balloons. I mean, it's uh, it's it must be a very all jokes aside. It must be a very graceful way of of taking to the skies. Surely, I mean, it's uh, oh, look, it's it's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's noisy when the burners are on, but when they're yeah. off, it's just great. And uh, there's nothing quite like being at 500, 400 feet above someone and having a conversation with them on the ground. Oh, yeah. um, admittedly, it's better when you're only 100 feet up. But yeah. um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, I, I, it's you, you really learn about microclimate and uh, the impacts of wind yeah. and feeling cold air coming up your legs as you're descending into a layer of cold air close to the ground. You'll mm-hmm. uh, like you might find a, a thin layer of cold especially if you've got uh, things like a couple of hills or like a tiny little valley around a creek or things like that mm. and feeling that cold coming up your legs and knowing, okay, I have to vent a little bit of heat otherwise I'm going to uh, – my relative buoyancy will increase as I get into the cold air and I could skip off this or uh, my beautiful descent path will suddenly flatten out <laughs> so, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, we, I mean, I, I, I made a bit of a faux pas when we were talking just before you came on the air uh, where, where I sort of said all oh, about riding the thermals and things like that. And <laughs> that, that, that isn't the case, is it? It's Not if we can avoid it. Right. Uh, we generally fly first thing in the morning or, or late in the afternoon. And uh, my, pref- my preference is first in the morning. Um, afternoon flights are generally a little bit shorter. Uh, you've got to wait for the thermic activity and the gusts and all that to die down and everything to get stable, which is, can be great in winter. Um, autumn, spring, that you can get some beautiful, after, you know, those still afternoons that you get, uh, just a little bit of breeze, they can be wonderful to go flying. But you've had a beautiful half to one hour flight, you've landed, your retrieve crew have finally found you and you're packing up in the dark. Really yeah. annoying. Yeah. Um, especially when there's something big with horns in there. Yeah, um, yeah a bit, bit cross that you've landed in his field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas during the daylight, uh, the, the, the big problem you have, uh, oh, look, you know, okay, I can fly for another 15 minutes to get that field. It might get a little thermic and fun, mm-hmm. but I can I can see where I'm going. It's all good. Yeah. Whereas, you know, oh, there goes the sun. It's setting. I better get on the ground fast. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, during the middle of the day, unless it's a beautiful still winter's day, you, you don't really want to be up then because of the thermals. So it's nothing worse mm-hmm. than going up when you want to come down or vice versa. So you decide you're going to fly. Where are you going to? Uh, how, how does it work? So you obviously you've got the wicker basket that we've all seen. I mean, what size is the um, um, sort of the burner pack and 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 the actual balloon yep. that you, that that you specifically uh, fly? Funny you should mention the wicker basket. I just had a flight over Canberra with a friend in his um, what's called a chariot. Right. You get what's, uh, either a hopper or a chariot. A hopper is a single seat balloon okay. where you are literally sitting there with a seat belt. Mm-hmm. And a tank behind you, and the burner above you, and that's it. And the envelope, and the, and the chariot. It's like a chairlift. And you've got a little um, oh, airline kind of belt. You know, lift the buckle, yeah. and you plug that in. And you've got pouches down the side for your ra- and radios attached. And everything's got lanyards because th- you don't have a basket. You're at two thousand feet above the ground in a chairlift. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Sounds very safe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was great. We really had oh, a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. But, yeah, usually I am in a basket. Um, most of the balloons I fly here in Australia as a private pilot, I can fly up to what's called a 120, 120,000 cubic feet of air. 
Um, typically, I'm more likely to be found in the 77,000 cubic foot of air balloon, which is good for pilot plus one or two, depending on how many tanks. Yeah. Um, I quite like flying a 105 because uh, with the 105, I can have four tanks of fuel on board. I can fly for a good couple of hours mm. and have myself and two friends and no problems at all. Or if I, on some still days, I've, I've taken a tank out and I've flown with three adults on board, just myself, my wife, a couple of friends, two tanks, and we went off for a bit of fun. Um, that was, yeah, that was a really good flight. When you know, the more people you have in the basket without compartments, the more fun it is if you're going to do a fast landing because you've got no wheels. <laughs> so if you come in at 10 or 15 knots, I mean, actually anything over about seven knots, if you come in, um, you're pulling the vent to let all the hot air out. You mm. skim along and, and you know, touch down and then you're going to get dragged because that big envelope turns into a dirty great spinnaker. <laughs> and you jiggle along a bit like a tea bag and you can wind up on your side. It's great fun. It really is hilarious. We've got padding. It's all great. But, um, yeah, you don't really want to have three or four of you in an open basket when that's happening. <laughs> so if, you, if, you're running, if you're running with, um, so let's say, two tanks, um, yep. and so you've got a couple of passengers on board. Now, I, I know obviously you can't really... You know, it's not possible particularly to to sort of finish where you started. Um, obviously, I guess a lot of this is down to wind, but I mean, roughly with two tanks, how, how far and how long can you fly for? Okay, well, a big part of it depends on the, the weather conditions. The colder it is, the better you're going to lift. Yeah. Um, the heavier your, your payload, the more fuel you're going to need to lift. Uh, typically, uh, a rule of thumb is about one litre per minute. Uh, for the sport balloon type of thing that I fly, like mm -hmm. a 77 to a 105 yeah. ballpark, including inflation, about one litre per minute. Uh, so when I'm flying, I generally like to fly with 82-litre um, tanks, which gives me about 60, 66 litres usable. Yeah. Some of the guys fly with 76s, some fly with 55s. You know, it just depends on what you've got. Yeah. And uh, I like to fly with a couple of 82s at least. And so you inflate off, say hypothetically, you inflate off the left, start flying with that one. Once it gets down to about 20% on the gauge, you switch over to the right-hand one uh -huh. and fly primarily with that one. And because you'll have like a, sometimes you'll have a single burner. If you've got a small balloon like a 60 or things like that, you might have just a single burner and it may only have one feed of the gas. So when you change off the tank, you switch over to the other tank. You actually physically move Un unscrew off one tank and screw onto the other one. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, some people have manifolds, which allows you to run the two tanks. You just turn one off, turn the other yeah. on. So sw switch, uh, switch over valve. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the balloons I fly, I generally fly with two burners or at least one burner with dual feeds so I can have two tanks into it at the same time. Yeah. And But a lot of the ones I'm flying with dual burners, so... You only really use the dual burners when you're like, mm, okay, I really need to stop now if you're coming down fast <laughs> yeah. or if you really want to get up in a hurry. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you've, you've got the – it just runs on LPG gas, just like what you put in your car. Yeah. Uh, we prefer pure propane to – typically most of the car ones have propane and butane. Mm -hmm. The more butane, the dirtier the burn and the less power you get out of it. Pure propane burns a lot better. Mm -hmm. But uh, – yeah, so typically if I was flying a 77 myself plus one or two people and a couple of 82-litre tanks, I I would typically get a good hour and a half flight with a half-hour reserve. Wow. And, 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 how, and how far would that – I mean, obviously difficult depending on winds and stuff, but I mean, what sort of yeah. distance are you talking? 
sort of same anywhere from a couple of kilometers to you know <laughs> even a half a kilometer to, <laughs> depending <laughs> on the wind yeah. to um you know they, we do what's called the long jump where you try and fly as far as you can on a given fuel burn yeah. and uh so you take off for two full tanks and you land at the, at the end and they've top up the tanks and see how much you use but uh you know that can be 40 kilometers if you've got a bit of good wind aloft wow. and how high up you go but most of my typical flights my average has been about 7k i've done i've done a 22 kilometer flight but most of the time i'm doing oh, typically really i'm doing around 10k um and it's yeah it's a lot of fun you you know you're up early in the morning you're figuring out where you're going to launch from you, you meet everyone together at a central lo location you've planned the night before and you put up a little helium balloon with a, um, a battery under like a battery and an LED under it so you put some helium in you um, use tape to attach a, an LED light with a battery and, and you chuck that up into the air and watch that that gives you an indication of what the winds are doing on the bottom 2,000 feet okay. you look at what the forecast is saying you assess your grandma's bunions, you figure out what you know of the local area and, and you get a fair idea of, okay, I'm going to take off here and I'll be able to use this wind here and that wind there and I'll wind up down over there because I'll, I'll go up high and track across, say, to the right and then I'll come down and go more left and then back up to the right and back down to the left and, and just keep tic-tacking like that to get, if I want to do a target flight or just to tell my crew roughly where to go to find me, where yeah. I'm likely to be. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's all, it's all that kind of thing and it's getting down into the, that, uh, you know, like you can have points where you, if you've got a slight undulation in the ground, you'll have wind, uh, like air, moving down and across it and you get down to within about five feet and, or even one foot of the surface and suddenly you're going to the right instead of the left. And uh, <laughs> I've taken a, a number of fixed-wing pilots for their first ever flights and a couple of them have been F-18 pilots with the RAF and they've just been amazed at 50 feet of difference <laughs> and suddenly we're going a whole different direction. Yeah. Okay. So how, how much... How much control? I mean, you know, when you when you're flying a light aircraft, you obviously got your control stick, control column in front of you. And how much con massive amount of control do you have with a balloon? You know, if you want to go a certain direction or a, or a height, how much you know control do well, you have apart from the wind, obviously pushing you or something? Well, that's it. Um, it all depends on what steerage you've got with the winds, and what you find is that as you go up and down in the in altitude, the winds will tend to be doing different things. You could have a little inversion where things are pretty still down below, but maybe you've got five knots above or even ten knots. And so you break out of the inversion, suddenly ooh, you feel yourself going. You'll, you'll actually feel a breeze on your face as the envelope is accelerating in that new wind. Or if you're descending, you'll suddenly feel a breeze on your face as your basket descends into the still wind and the envelope's still being dragged through the air by the, the other wind aloft. And so realistically, you, that's why you, you, you watch the winds, you look at what's the forecast, you think, okay, well, I'm likely to get this aloft and I've watched my little pie ball, that's what I'm going to likely do, and you plan your flight accordingly. But, yeah, if you're flying along, say, towards the south and you see something over there on the west and you're like, oh, I want to go over there, and you haven't got a wet, an easterly aloft, <laughs> you're not going there. No, it's not happening. <laughs> no. no. No way. <laughs> I, always, I always ask people this question, and I'm sorry if it, it, it sort of offends, but it's uh, I always ask if they've had any bad experiences. Have you had any sort of near misses or think or sort of uh, flights you'd like to forget i suppose is the best way to describe it i wouldn't i wouldn't call them forgetful flights i would call them learning experiences okay yeah. um <laughs> yeah like I'm, I'm flying along quite low one time um we were doing a competition and a competition flight is where you take off from a given location you've got to drop your marker at this location then you've got you can nominate three other locations that you might drop at and then 
um, tell your crew, okay, I'm dropping it at this location here, and then you've got to fly on and land as close as you can to some other location, all by riding the winds. And the guys set the targets based on what they think the winds would allow a good pilot to do. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of this competition, oh, no. <laughs> and I know I need to get further over to the right I, um, on my track. I need to get more south because I want to get closer to the in, an intersection that I've nominated as one of my pilot-declared goals after completely missing a judge-declared goal by about ooh, 500 meters. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, my crew were there. I dropped them to market and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, no, 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 others have been a kilometer. Don't worry, you're doing fine. Winds <laughs> <laughs> weren't quite what we thought. Yeah. Uh, look, in an Australian comp, if you get within five meters of the target, you, you're doing okay. If you get within a, a couple of meters, you're doing great. And if you... Uh, if you get within a meter, you're you're, you're it's you're a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not not necessarily a miracle, but I mean, a lot of the guys here are very very talented, very mm. good. Um, this is just a bunch of us having a jolly. But um, <laughs> when you get to the world competitions, the top five are all within fifty centimeters, twenty centimeters no. of the target on every target. You know that kind of thing. That just unless something impossible. goes drastically wrong. I, I, just, I, I mean, given what you're saying about how, I mean, that that's a, that's an, an amazing error of or sort of you know area to try. Wow. Wow. Yeah, well, that's, but that's like, okay, I need to be down 10 feet. If mm. I'm 10 feet lower, I'll get five degrees right. And then I can come in on that and then I'll drop down and that, that left will take me in and I'll nail that target. And sometimes you've got a gravity drop. You just must put your hand out over the side of the basket, let it go. Sometimes you've got a, um, just get your marker there, however. So you, you know, you're 10 meters off to the side, so you swing your marker and chuck it. And the marker is a, a, a small weighted bag with a um, streamer on it with your number on it. <laughs> So uh, I'm doing this this jolly competition, and I'm down low. I'm like like two feet above the top of the trellises of a of a vineyard, waving at some of the workers and having a good chat with uh, one of the one of the owners and all this kind of stuff. And I'm I'm there because I'm trying right down close to the ground. I'm getting the right. I'm going to the south. This is great. And I'm looking ahead, and I'm looking at this road coming up, and I'm like, oh, there's a road. Oh look, there's trees. Hmm. Okay. And I suddenly remember, you know, roads often have power lines along them. And I thought, yeah, I don't want to be here. So I put the power, the, the heat in and went up and took it up to, you know, like 20 feet above the treetop heights. And sure enough, as I went over there, there was the, the power line going between the trees and the poles were in the trees. Because they always teach you to look for the poles, look for yeah. the power lines. You, you can't see the lines, but look for the poles. Yeah. And out here in Australia, you'll get what's called a single wire earth return or a swirl line. Mm. And you'll have a, a, a one kilometer wide paddock. And in the middle will be a pole. And sure enough, there's a wire going from one side to the other. <laughs> oh, my God. So, oh my you know, goodness. you never see the wire. And, mm. yeah, so that was that was an educational moment. That was when <laughs> I was like, yeah, that could have been bad. That could have been a nasty <laughs> experience. Oh, dear. And an another one I landed in fog. Um, I was following you, some you others in. You get fog? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, in winter we can have some. And even um, sort of September here in Melbourne we get some great fogs but we were up north in the country um, up in Mansfield uh, just in the valleys near the, the, the ski field hills and all that and mountains and having a beautiful flight and I was following a couple of the commercial pilots and they were flying the big balloons you know 10 16 passengers multiple compartments everyone's got padding all this kind of stuff it's great <laughs> uh, very safe for landing and all that um, and they're flying into this area and I'm like, oh, that's a bit of a corner. I really have to target that field they're in because there's fog all around it, <laughs> you know, where I'm going. And I came in over an area that had horses, so that was a sensitive zone. I couldn't descend there. Mm. And I watched them land and I saw them go down and come backwards, back towards me into the field. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm likely to do. And sure enough, as I'm coming over the field, 
the fog all starts to break away and come back over the field where they just landed. I'm like, oh, oh great. Oh, no. <laughs> I, could, I, I knew there was a big clear area. I could just make it out. The fog was just going over it where um, there was some livestock and a, and a, pat, and a, a lake, like a, a watering hole. So I descended over that until I could just make out the greys at the top of the trees. And I was now in the fog and moving with it back towards the field. And I could just make out the top of one of the big balloons and a couple of trees. And I was like, right, I'm over the field now. This is a big field. I'd done a big scan of it. I'd checked the power lines, made sure it was all okay. I know where I am. I'm landing. And I went down into the Merc, back into the Merc and, uh, yeah, landed and could see the ground when we were about 10 feet above it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was an amazing thing, just you know, rounded out, had a good landing, went, well, oh, I learned from that, and then spent the next half an hour at minus two degrees waiting for the crew to find us in the fog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be half the battle, I suppose, because I suppose you haven't got the balloon sticking up as a, as a marker by that point, have you? Well, we were playing Marco Polo. They'd hit the horn, we'd hit the burner. <laughs> trying to coordinate. And they were trying to find us relative because I gave them rough direction relative to where I thought they'd come in from relative to the other two guys. And uh, they'd actually come in from a different different direction. I thought they were coming in from the uh, west. They'd come in from the south. So, uh, yeah, we finally figured that out and then they were able to find us. Wow. <laughs> So just sort of wrapping up then uh, towards the end of the show then, Grant, what uh, what does the future hold for you in ballooning? Well, what, what have you got um, planned? What big things you got planned for uh, for this year? Well, I'm I'm actually uh, my day job is in um, aviation. I work with a number of hot air balloon companies. Um, I'm primarily with the main one that's been allowing me to borrow some balloons and go fly. Right, you're allowed to name, na- na- name, name, name it. Yeah, yeah. name them. Yeah. Oh, look, the, the main one here that I work with in Melbourne is Picture This Ballooning, um, and they're a lot of fun. Um, we've actually got a British guy flying with us. Um, I was, he was going to try and do some fixed-wing flying while he was here, but he ran out of time. Um, next time he comes down, if he gets his fixed-wing, I'll, I'll do an interview with him to compare fixed-wing flying in the UK f- versus down here for you. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, uh, yeah Andy, a- Andy um, he's, he, everyone calls him Chaos, but Andrew <laughs> Kay, he's a lovely guy, and um, he's been flying, this is his second year flying with us down here, and he's from the UK, does a lot of shapes, the special shape balloons, you know, the ones like um, Snow White and uh, yeah, yeah. Yoda and Darth Vader and all that. He... Uh, he flies Snow White. He has a number of other shapes. So uh, he's been down here flying passengers with us. Um, so, yeah, he's been working pretty hard on our TripAdvisor rating. But uh, other ones <laughs> like yeah, up in up in uh, the Hunter Valley, you've got Balloon Aloft. I've been working with them as well. And I've, I've been helping people out with um, all their compliance and operations and management and paperwork and all that kind of stuff and now starting to break into GA like fixed wing as well and doing that so explain what what's ga general aviation oh, gen, general oh, aviation yes, yeah. yeah i actually have about 40 hours fixed wing um, Do you? i just have never yeah i've had a couple of guys of getting my um Damn, he's my license me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I've, I've had a couple of failures um you know, uh, tanked a company separated from the from my son's mother all that kind of stuff and um so they, those two things got in the way of a couple of attempts hmm. but um yeah done some gyrocopter done some gliding uh would love to do finish my gliding and all that but yeah look I, i'm just really enjoying it um cool. whatever i can get with within the aviation world i'd love to uh get my commercial balloon license and just be able to earn some money flying balloons but honestly um i 
my more forte is is helping people out with all their operations manuals and the paperwork and understanding the regulations well i mean from what little i've seen from from what carl is learning here of the paperwork and stuff i mean that's such a minefield of, uh, oh, of things yeah. I mean, all the help you can you can give anyone is going to be greatly appreciated i'm quite I need sure. a new brain i don't know about anything else <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah uh, well remember the echo the Weight well, of the paperwork must equal or exceed the weight of the aircraft. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're too, that's too true. That's too true. Yeah. Oh, Even dear. ballooning. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'll tell you one of the things, Gemma would love to go in a hot air balloon. She, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. She was saying, she, my wife Gemma, she said to me a few weeks ago that that's one of the things she because we saw one. Yeah. Um, we yeah, we see them over here quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, we have balloons here in, quite in, a bit. And um, one of the things she said she'd love to go in a hot air balloon. So. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to see if I can help you out with that from, <laughs> yeah. from down here. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, some um, of the guys in the UK. it is, I'm afraid, time where we've got to wrap up the show. Oh. We are officially out of time. But uh, we have got just one piece of feedback. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, go on. yeah. We had some feedback um, from uh, a chap uh, called Matthew Harvey. Yeah. And uh, I said we'd mention it on the show for him yeah. because uh, he was he was rather rather miffed. Oh, was he? He, uh, he oh, had dear. a flight. Uh, he went uh, um, with United. Oh, yeah. And he flew from Manchester to Newark, uh-huh. over in the states. And um, he was he was really unimpressed with the airline with United. Really? Yeah, yeah, really unimpressed. Wow. And uh, he actually flew the seven five seven three is it three hundred um, Grant that uh, United have got. Um, it's kind of a long distance, one of their sort of longest flights they do with the seven five seven. And uh, yeah, he was uh, he was not at all happy with the service he got. He said the flight attendants were were very unattentive. Um, he he asked for a glass of water on the flight, which mm. was quite a long flight yeah. from Manchester to Newark. And uh, they kind of sort of uh, he said they sort of mm, water. Oh, okay then, you know. <laughs> oh. And uh, yeah, he said the whole service that he got from uh, from United wasn't uh, wasn't brilliant. Wasn't so no. Oh dear. Um, he he also he saw the, one of the comments he made was as well that he's flown with with Ryanair and EasyJet, yeah. and uh, he said that the comparing the service between you know the two budget airlines and United, he said uh, that um, he 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 choose the budget, choose budget oh, wow. airlines every time. Whether it was just a one-off flight, you know, but I mean it's it's I've got to say, Grant, it's quite an old aircraft to fly on on that route. I think um, from from well, here to there. Yeah. The, the, they're not the youngest aircraft in the world. Um, there are older ones out there flying, but uh, I don't know that it's the age of the aircraft so much as sometimes. I mean, you, you hear Rob Mark has a few um, from the airplane geeks. He has a he has a few choice words to say about United at times, and um, I, I was flying them in the past when I was living in the states, and they weren't too bad. But uh, I have heard a few people say that it can be hit and miss. You can get some wonderful. You can get some bad. Um, I guess it's I the guess same it with anything, on where everyone's at. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's, it's amazing how much of a difference like the the, the flu the the flight crew can make to yeah, your. Yeah, you, it can be oh, the same huge. route going in. In our case, I mean, I've I've had experiences. There's, there's one flight because I, I fly to Ireland quite regularly from here, and I've had one flight where uh, to be fair, it's only been one flight, and mm. the 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 attendants were so unbelievably rude. I I, I if. If I hadn't, if I knew I wasn't going to get arrested and put in prison for it, I'd have punched <laughs> the attendant. They were that rude, and then, oh, wow. and then the last flight that we did, I think it's actually the one when we when we went over to um, Lanzarote, yeah, because that was with Ryanair that we flew to to there, and they, the, it was the be- they were the best crew I've ever experienced. Mm. The, the the guy the 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 the, the head flight attendant Ben, I should always remember his name, was the funniest person I've ever heard on a. It was just it's amazing how much of a difference just a, a different crew can. Make. 
make to uh, I tell you what, when you get a chance, Matt, Google Southwest um, flight attendants. Right. Because their flight attendants, some of them are just, they push the boat literally really? acro- across from here to Australia uh, for their service. They, <laughs> oh, wow. They, they, I mean, Grant, you, you'll probably vouch for me. Some of the, some of the uh, yeah. Southwest crew are just yeah. amazing. Very out there. Yeah, <laughs> the effort they put in. Yeah, yeah, anyway, it, it is sadly time to wrap up. I just yes. have to make one very quick apology. Uh, yes, we had on. a fair bit of feedback um, from last time's show. We did have some rather severe audio issues with um, the, the podcast that we put out last time round. We are aware of it, that's and that was one of the reasons why we had some yeah. issues last week, which why we couldn't put a show out. So I will make sure that we don't have any audio li- um, levelling issues uh, this time round. So thank you. you very indeed. Absolutely. That's my job officially out of the window. So uh, thank you very much for the feedback. If there are any issues like that as i say we don't mind what the feedback is any yeah. feedback is is good feedback as far as we're concerned keep us up to date with uh, anything that you'd like us to to cover um and just you know make sure that we make this the podcast that you guys want to hear that is after all what we're here for so uh, if you want to get in touch with the show yeah you can uh, contact the show uh, via our website allthews.plaintalkinguk.com click on the contact us tab you can send us an email via there you can also follow us. Uh, uh, yes, it's go. Uh, you've got to Facebook or Twitter to basically search uh, "Plain Talking yeah. UK" podcast in both uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook, and you'll you'll get the pages. So, Grant, we'd like to thank you very much. massively yeah. for coming on to the show today. Yeah, especially it's, given the time difference. Yes, we, we must given the time must difference. We must stress. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, been it's, it's, it's been, been a real honour. Been a real Thank, thanks for uh, you know opening up that security hole that let me sneak in. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I must plug that for next time. Yeah. 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 Big enough court. I'll have to open a bottle. They went of on, they're all on. Yeah. But no, thanks ever so yeah. much, Grant, for coming on tonight. It's been brilliant to hear about uh, yes, all your blooming, lunatic uh, type things. It's been really, really good. <laughs> no, and I, ho- I hope our paths cross again. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Thanks ever so much. So, uh, Grant, just for the benefit of our listeners who. For some reason, been, have missed your podcast missed. somehow. Where uh, where can uh, where can I listen? Where can we find you, you and you and you and Stuart? Steve. Steve. Sorry. <gasps> oh, the, 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 the great and masterful Steve. Indeed, all yes. hail. I'm very very sorry. <laughs> yes. I am so sorry. I will be punished for that. I'm so sorry. I'll beat him after Indeed. the show. Carry on. Indeed, you're going to have to drive the A14 forever. Oh no! Oh. No no please. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, we're at plainecrazydownunder.com. Uh, that's where our primary show is. You can also hear us on the airplanegeeks.com. Uh, we do the Australia Desk, and most of the time we get out an Australian Desk every week. Um, depends on what our reality is like. Uh, yes. our, our production has dropped off for Plane Crazy, I will admit. Um, that's just finding time to edit, but that's because of all our day jobs. Mm. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, if, if you're looking to hear some fun interviews and things like that, you don't have to be in Australia or New Zealand to enjoy the show. No. Uh, we, we try and make it work for anyone anywhere. And, and from a, a just it, as I say, where where you're so, so that people know that your show has, has actually appeared, your best bet is actually to follow it on iTunes because as soon as soon as you pu- publish a new podcast, it will actually appear there sort of straight away. Yes. So it's uh, it's probably your best way to sort of stay in touch with um, when the shows and that are coming out. Mm, definitely, like yep, they are subscribe on. Yeah, you right. can subscribe. Yeah, you can subscribe yeah. on oh, iTunes yeah. as well to yeah, the show, absolutely. which is also good. Yeah. And don't forget as well, not only for our podcast, but make sure when you do download the shows via iTunes, just to leave a little bit of uh, a comment, yeah. some feedback on Definitely. there, because that does help to uh, to sort boost, of boost yeah. boost the shows on iTunes. Absolutely. So once again, Grant, thanks ever so much for coming yeah. on the show and joining us. 
and we're going to let oh, you uh, get back to uh, to waking Kit up. She's yes. probably she's probably nodded off now. Bless her. Yeah, no, bless her. Uh, yeah, it is coming up on 11 p.m. She yeah. may, on Saturday night. She may have decided to uh, call it quits and go to bed, but she really. may also be watching a couple of episodes of something and uh, ready to watch something silly like Danger Five with me later. <laughs> well, tell her to forgive us anyway yes, for, for removing <laughs> you from her for the evening. Yeah, but, uh, but no, thanks again for coming on to the show, Grant. And uh, looking forward to the next thrilling instalment of the PCDU podcast. Absolutely. And don't forget, episode 54, from our end, we will try and get out for you as per usual next week. So thanks for all those who have taken the time to listen. We'll speak to you next week. Yes, so from me, Carlos, it's a rather dreary and chilly Saturday. Goodbye. And from you, Mr. Smith. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) 